I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> going to give the audience what I think they want. They want chasing and car crashing. They want the cops to bend the rules to get the job done. They want the boy to get the girl. They want the good guy to win. They want the bad guy to die. Hopefully in the biggest explosion the budget will allow. But most importantly, Senator, they want to walk into a theater and for 90 minutes forget the fucking mess that you have left of this nation. Go get your bubble gum. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome back to the All Out of Bubblegum podcast. We have with us again Brandon, Martin, and Stein, and I'm Brenton. And today we are going to be talking about the classic actor Burt Reynolds. Nope. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Burt Lancaster. Burt Burton. <laughs> Burton. What we were talking about before we started this is that there's no Burt. Yeah. There's only Burtons. Although Burt and Ernie... This- yeah. <laughs> Anyways, well, that's Bert. That's yeah, Bert with an that's E. True. So we're talking about. Uh, a- yeah, this was exactly what I worried about before the episode was that we were going to say Bert Reynolds four hundred times. And now yeah. <laughs> I only watched Bert Reynolds movies, and now now. <laughs> yeah, it's another uh, Hall of Fame introduction this week for uh, Bert Lancaster. Bert Reynolds is already in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he missed his episode. Maybe we'll have to do a retrospective. But now we're talking about the grin, Bert Lancaster. So, uh, great teeth, great hair, yeah, great, great voice. physique. He's yeah. under underrated actor, I think, as well. I think it's forgotten a bit just how good he was. Yeah, he did I make mean, his four his uh, four Academy Award nominations and one win do kind of speak to that. He wasn't that underrated that's true and he he did make the top 25 hollywood actors of the golden era from the american film institute as well so oh yeah how old are those lists though oh that's and also if you if you see that like the top hundreds and stuff like they were loaded with garbage (laughs) probably holds the record for me for the actor of the number of movies i most want to see but haven't seen Okay, well that will be be interesting. Yeah. Did did you fix um, that for this episode? I tried. Did you watch anything? Yes. Okay. Did you watch a single Burt uh, Lancaster <laughs> yes. uh, movie this week? Yeah, I watched okay. the, the Crimson Pirate, Apache, From oh. Here to Eternity, Run Silent, Run Deep, uh, Castle Keep. Uh, what else? Valdez is Veracruz. Oh, and Veracruz. Veracruz. Uh, I rewatched as well. I love Veracruz, so. And I think that's it. Okay, well, that's cool because then you 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 actually uh, filled in a couple of the blind spots that I intended to watch okay. and then failed to do so. Like uh, um, run silent, run deep. I love the Star Trek episode based on that. Did not get around to it. And Crimson Pirate, which was a big big one I intended to watch, but. I just ran out of time. No, um, <clears throat> I don't have a well, lot yeah. to say about Crimson well, we, Pirate, but yeah, but it's but I think well, it's good. We'll get to it, okay. I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, his uh, his background's from the circus. Uh, very New York guy, extreme New York accent. 
uh, on, on man. Mm-hmm. You can always tell he's from New York, even when he's not trying, when he's trying to sound like he's not from New York. Uh, but yeah, he, he grew up, uh, he was a circus uh, circus artist. Acrobat. Um, I, I think he... Acrobat, yeah. He joined the circus after high school or at the end of high school? Around no, uh, from like the age of nine, he was oh, into really? performing acrobats. That's when he met uh, Nick Cravat, yeah. who's uh, he's another actor who turns up in a, a ton of... Uh, a uh, ton of uh, Burt Lancaster movies. Always got to double remember Lancaster, Lancaster, Lancaster. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and they did. Uh, they were they worked together in the circus, and then they did a lot of movies together. And uh, if you ever, whenever they do a period piece together, you'll notice that Cravat has to play a mute because his New York accent was twice as thick as, uh, as Burt Lancaster's. And they were just like... We cannot have an 18th century guy sounding like this. <laughs> uh, why? Why yeah. not? Though Isn't that's it? what I want to know. I don't know. Maybe we need. Uh, but yeah, he stayed in the circus until the late 30s when he was got got injured and had to give up the, his acrobatics, which I think he he always regretted a bit. It was his big, huge love, and then you know. What else happened in 1939? You know, uh, so he he ended. He, he served in the in the army during uh, World War Two, um, where he did also some performances, I think. But he he was. Uh, I don't have his war record in front oh, of me. I was exactly, going to ask you about so. that. I d- I did hear that Ted Post, director of um, Go Tell the Spartans, saw him perform in the army when he was also enlisted. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. So I do believe he did some like acrobatic feats and stuff keep keep morale up. Not quite the apocalypse now playboy bunny scene, but you know. <laughs> take what you get. Yeah. And then after after the war, I guess, he he went into acting, discharged in October 45, and then by 1946, he's uh he's top billed in The Killers. He did a bit of theater before to like I don't know get cast in the lead in a in a movie, but he's uh, like uh, Steven Seagal last week. Burt Lancaster is someone who debuted uh, with a top billing. I've not seen The yeah. Killers either. Uh, I only the only thing I know about the movies that was kind of the the movie that put Eva Gardner on the map as well. So oh yeah, she's great in it. It's one of the all time. It's one I watched right now, and Ava Gardner gives one of the all-time femme fatale performances in this one. She is so evil in this movie. It's fantastic, real manipulative uh, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Burt Lancaster just plays this big idiot who falls for <laughs> all of it. It's based on a Hemingway story. I don't know if Hemingway had any romantic feelings towards Burt Lancaster. <laughs> so he, he did Gary Cooper. Uh <laughs> But he did write this one. Um, it's later also adapted to a Lee Marvin movie, which uh, I think is the one people think of first now because it's sort of infamous for having Ronald Reagan and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this one is a, it's a great noir, and it's about uh, this guy gets uh, assassinated, and then he but he doesn't try to run. He knows he's going to get assassinated, and he just waits to be killed. And um, and then this insurance investigator. Um, uh, looks into it. It's like why? Why did this guy 
not try to run? What's his his backstory? And he well, he uncovers this whole story about he used to be a boxer and he was involved in a robbery, and uh, that's where Ava Gardner sort of uh, tricked him into doing the robbery, and, uh, stuff like that. Okay. And in the remake, like uh, the um, there is no insurance investigator; it's Lee Marvin's hitman does the investigation himself, which is, I think is a sort of like a more interesting version of the story, but uh, I think it's also a looser adaptation than this one. Yeah, I should preface this by saying I generally do not like film noir. This is no exception. I didn't really like The Killers that much, but I do prefer the Lee Marvin version. I think that's more entertaining to me. I do not really like Burt Lancaster's The Killers. It just Noir generally doesn't work for me. Does the remake have the same title? Yeah, they're all, okay. all every version's called The Killers. Okay. Oh uh, no, I thought this. I thought it was terrific noir. This is like if you're, if, I would highly recommend this as something to put on your noir watch list if you haven't. So, uh, we're gonna have to be disagree, agree to disagree on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Robert uh, Sidomac, the direction. I don't know how to pronounce pronounce that actually shot mac uh, i almost thought maybe anyone have like a clip of uh, tom cruise saying <laughs> it that's that's how i learned how to say frank borsaggi <laughs> <laughs> this scored a couple of oscar nominations best director best script uh so quite a debut it's a really well received uh, debut for bird lancaster bird lancaster also like gary cooper notorious womanizer the man could not stop fucking <laughs> Don't know about the size of his penis. To be honest, <laughs> he was he was like like Cooper, a, a notorious ladies' man. Oh, I thought he was like really private and just a normal everyday guy. No, he was he was uh, largely private and like didn't like to go out and be in the in the media tabloids. and stuff and uh, tabloids and all that. He didn't enjoy that attention, but no, 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 he slept around uh, a ton. Yeah, uh, his wife. Uh, well, it'll come out during, I guess, Castle Keep is when his his wife uh, tired of him, his affairs, and left him. Well, he, uh, he's been married a, three times, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. One one pre-fame and then one for the majority of his uh, career. They had five kids and stuff, but then she left him because, I guess, by 1969, it was no longer, you no longer had to accept your husband cheating on you with seven different women a year. Which I don't know about Gary Cooper's marriage status, but I guess in the forties and fifties you just have to like roll with it if your husband was banging everyone left and right. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did he do next? Uh, his next move was Brute Force. Uh, it's another another film noir by Jules Dassin, who always sounds like he's he's European, but he was he was not. He, cause, well, because he was uh, blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Yeah. So then he went on and made, uh, directed uh, all the latter half of his careers in Europe. So everyone just thinks he's he's uh, European. Yeah. But he's the, did Rififi, yeah, yeah. famous French movie. Yeah, oh. he did Rififi oh. and uh, Never on a Sunday. And uh, what's the, uh, there's a crime caper one also. That was well, very well received. Top Copy. It's another one like oh, Rififi that, that one, has yeah. a very... It's very not not a not a word you hear a lot except for that one title. I should go back and watch that because I love Rafifi. Top copy is a lot. It's a lot sillier. But brute force is not silly at all. It's a really, really hard noir. Uh, Burt Lancaster is in prison, and um, 
there's this uh, Hume Cronin plays this r real nasty power hungry guard who's, who's wants to become the warden and um, yeah uh, Burt Lancaster's uh, trying to plan an escape and uh, yeah builds to this really huge climax of, of the uh, of the escape which is like uh, almost turns into more of a riot it's based on the, the real life Alcatraz riots um, what happened like a year or two before yeah real downbeat ending uh, I thought it was pretty good except for it has all these uh, flashbacks to like what the guys did to get to jail and stuff and it just absolutely takes the energy out of the movie completely every time there's a flashback it's just like <laughs> okay another another backstory can we just get back to the like the the escape plan and is Hume Cronin gonna find out and you know, like that's the exciting part and it's just please get back to that I do not care about this this <laughs> flashback about this fourth build character and his girlfriend whatever just please please stop telling me about their backgrounds yeah I completely agree with that other than my overall impression was negative due to all the flashbacks but that finale I'd already watched on YouTube when I was done watching the movie it is so savage for a production code era film it it I need to rewatch this movie again sometime maybe I'll have a more positive impression of it next time but that finale is so good it is so brutal for like a film from this time period yeah great finale and just like you know, yeah just the just willing to show like the hero uh, basically just killing cops and yeah real satisfying when Hume Cronin bites it cuz he is just a nasty bastard in this one yeah, I wish it focused more on the present than on flashbacks, because the violence in it is very delicious. But like when it's focusing on like the backstories and all that stuff, it just kills the movie for me. Yeah, same. Uh, it just didn't kill it as hard for me. But uh, Burt Lancaster, great in it. Um, but just the, the flashbacks really ruined uh, the structure for me on this one. Okay. I always thought, looking at the poster, that it was a war movie. No, entirely set in a prison that's like... A stand-in for Alcatraz. Mm. I, I quite like noir, war. but I'm way, way behind on watching noir movies. I'm never too late to start. Yeah, I will. I'm probably gonna go check this one out when we're done here. I really like. Well, I should probably watch the Killers first, but yeah, I'll get to this. Well, I've seen I Walk Alone. I've seen that one, but I don't recall anything about it other than it was just okay. It's a film noir, so it doesn't really appeal to me that much. So it was, it's a, it's an okay movie. Well then. I yeah, did want to. It's sort of noted for it's the first collaboration between uh, Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. That's right. Who they ended up being sort of like, a, well, were they were they friends? Were they rivals? What were their deal? And uh, that it, yeah, it ran for like basically forty years. Their whole like, are they? What's what's their deal? Uh, do they like each other? Are they rivals? And they made like six films together or something. Something like that. They made several films and it's just spread out th throughout their careers too. I like it when that that uh, intersects like that. But uh, I also really like the poster for "Sorry, Wrong Number," where he appears to be slapping a woman with his backhand who's <laughs> was trying to make a phone call <laughs> on her bed. <laughs> I've not seen that one. Me, me neither. But I see it's it's a murder mystery, not a domestic abuse. But it might film. be a. <laughs> well, or a, or a romantic comedy with a little bit of a 
hard love thing. <laughs> Where a woman just needs <laughs> to learn to learn to accept her place just so that she can find love. Figure out how to dial the right <laughs> number. Yeah. <laughs> I like the title of Kiss the Blood of My Hands. Me too. Sounds great. Very noirish. It's like like a dark romance kind of sound. Exactly. So um is the next one anybody's watched Flame of the Arrow Flame in the Arrow? Uh I saw Criss Cross. And that's once again, it's a noir. Did, not really my thing. But there's you... a pretty good uh, it's there's a good armored car heist in it. So that that it might be worth watching if you like noir, but I thought it was just okay. So you were just not yeah, down another... with uh, noir. I like some, like the big heat and um a touch of evil, but other than that, I'm generally not a fan. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't see this one. I see it's another Cydomac. Cydomac. How? How? I don't know how what we agreed on the pronunciation on that one. And I see it's got Dan Duria in it. I always love Dan when Dan Duria pops up and stuff. He's a he's a great presence. So I got to try to make watch this one. I also I did notice going through his uh, filmography that he does work with directors uh, multiple times. Like yeah. noticeable. Yes, uh, I, I I did. Uh, yeah, as uh, I didn't bring it up yet, but that is a thing where he frequently uh, works with uh, directors multiple times. Uh, I think, especially starting in the '60s, you see it a lot. And I think we found a guy guy there, C. Oddmark. It's like the first guy he he really uh, like uh, comes back to a couple of times. Yeah, that makes sense. He just seems, you know, he's probably just fairly professional on set and probably a pleasure to work with especially if you're like a guy's guy oh no i i've heard the exact exact opposite oh. <laughs> burt lancaster was <laughs> a, a real nightmare on set at times but because, bring him back uh <laughs> he was he really he basically he always wanted to to direct but he never really only directed like two movies in the end oh yeah that's right he, I did. i've seen he the Kentucky always end. had like he yeah, that. he always had like opinions on like, okay, well, the camera should be here, or should I say this, or how should this be, and stuff like. He always very opinionated, and often came to clash with directors on on like how stuff should be shot and how he thought he should look and where the camera should be placed for his shots and stuff like that. So apparently, no, he was he, he, Lancaster was a very difficult man on set at times. Because he had a lot of opinions on about uh, how stuff should be done and should look. So he's well, maybe some of these directors just agreed with him. So he's he's sure. less oh, yeah. Steven Seagal sure. and more Bruce Willis. So I have also watched The Flame and the Arrow, but I don't remember a lot about it. Just thinking it was kind of a, a Robin Hood riff. Um, yeah, I mean that's exactly what it is. It's Robin Hood. I was just gonna say it feels a lot like an Errol Flynn movie yes, kind of thing. Yes, that's what I remember thinking. Yeah, I think there's there's a rumor that Errol Flynn this was intended for Errol Flynn, but of course, I mean it wasn't because it came out in 1950, and Errol Flynn was uh, like a walking cirrhosis of the liver <laughs> at that point. And uh, this one really is a showcase for uh, for Burt Lancaster showing off his physicality. And uh, a lot of, I think there's a, Lancaster claims he did everything. There is a, some, there's a sequence at the end where I feel the camera's pretty far away and it cuts before you ever see Burt Lancaster's face. And I'm like, ah, I'm feeling maybe you didn't do this one. But, but a lot of the stuff you do, do see his face and it's a lot of, you know, climbing, swinging, doing acrobatics stuff. 
And um, yeah, it's a it's a Robin Hood type story. He's a master archer, and there's some. He has a son, and it's like his wife left him for like the evil emperor or whatever, set in old time Italy. <coughs> this is one of those where uh, Nick Cravat plays a mute mm-hmm. because fifteenth uh, century Italy didn't have thick Bronx accents. Just but, regular American accents. They did have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that <laughs> yeah, that was gonna. Th- take people right out of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It wasn't incredible or anything, but it has has really good action climax. And uh, this was made by its own production company as well. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a, that's another thing we'll we'll come we should cover. I guess is that yeah, Burt Lancaster uh, produced a lot of his own stuff. Made a oh, so company, he's Fred Williamson. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, wanted to take uh, control of his own uh, of his own movies early on, which led to a bunch of different stuff, I guess. But yeah, uh, this one's also directed by Jacques Tourneau, who's best known for uh, making like uh, horror movies, I guess. Cat he made people. a bunch of um, oh, yeah, cat I people. I walk with a zombie, leopard man, out of the past, the demon. One of my f- yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, great noir too there uh he's a, he's a french director barely spoke any english i think i've seen interviews with him where he definitely he still wants to speak french but he came over and did um val luton this uh, used to was this guy who produced like b horror movies and he brought this guy from france to do a bunch of them and then uh i think val luton yeah and then he anyway he ended up uh, like moving out of the sort of like b horror movies and did a bunch of uh, westerns and adventure movies i guess and this is this is one of them he's he's a underrated director yeah the flame of the arrow that, that's a pretty good movie it's not great like the adventures of robin hood but it's, it's watchable yeah and it look looks great that's the that that's the shock turn tat touch he all all his stuff always makes it look great always knows always gets in a good cinematographer and, and makes it look great mm-hmm. and before that i saw rope of sand which was a noir type film so i didn't oh. like it so we can move past that. Oh, skip that one. <laughs> okay, just just make a note. Noir. Didn't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then comes Vengeance Valley, which I saw next, and it's a western. Oh yeah, you yeah, saw it's, that. It's it's his first western. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not bad. It's not great, but it, it's it's a pretty average western, I'd say. I think it's interesting because he he kind of he he gets remembered as a bit of a western guy, but it takes a good while for him to to make a western. Yeah, actually. and that's a uh, Richard. Thorpe film, okay. Who some of you won't remember this, but he made all those Tarzan movies back in the day. Oh, like the Johnny Weissmuller oh, ones. Okay. Yeah. All right. I know he did a bunch of um, Elvis movies at the end. That's what I know okay. him best for. Some some of you won't remember this. Like you grew up then. You you said it like oh yeah for, <laughs> oh. back when I was young. He made I, I, I always movies. assume that the the Tarzan movies had a wider reach than maybe they did. Yeah, yeah I don't think there's any. Maybe like in the when 50s. I, when I, I grew up um, and watched a lot of TV as kids, a lot of American kids too, and the you would frequently catch in your lifetime if you have not seen one Tarzan movie over here, then I'd be surprised. Ah, okay, all right. Oh, I I've only seen guess, the animated okay. one. I guess yeah, that, that one maybe it replaced it for everybody in the '90s, and I'm just old. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So, uh, is Vengeance Valley is the, the latest one until Crimson Pirate? I've seen Ten Tall Men. Okay, which is like good. A, yeah, it's a French Foreign Legion film set during the Rift War in Morocco. And it's pretty good, actually. It's, it was originally supposed to be a Western movie of, like, cavalry versus Native Americans. But then they switched it up and changed continents to set it in the Rift War. And it's not great. It's not a shoot 'em up movie, but it's a pretty good war movie for what it is. I so enjoyed it. Is, it. I assume from the poster, he's a legionnaire. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was. This was one that was on my watch list, but I didn't get to it. I was a bit excited about it because he co-stars uh, Gilbert Roland, who was always uh, was one of my like favorite guys from that era, who's sort of forgotten now, but he always always plays like a third or fourth build guy. Uh, Mexican, he was a Mexican actor, sort of like ended up doing uh, some spaghetti westerns towards the end of his career. Okay, I don't recall his role. It's been a while since I've seen it. Well, if there's if there's a Spanish guy or Mexican guy in it, that he's that guy. Okay, well, probably, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll bring up uh, Crimson Pirate, which is a very goofy movie. Uh, it does not take itself very seriously, and you, he, he plays the this guy who becomes captain captain gets mutinied um and then he becomes a revolutionary on an island and uh, you're kind of like, where's this going well the end of the movie it makes the whole thing worth it he and this uh scientist professor guy uh, bring make these islanders rise up against uh, this uh, evil guy basically and they create this is in the 17th 1700s i think and they create a bunch of tanks and machine guns and flamethrowers and submarines and, and attack and it's amazing yeah they make a gat oh wow they make a gatling gun out of muskets yes. yeah that's the ending of this movie makes the entire thing worth it oh i need you to do. check it's this out it's pretty good it's pretty good uh, cuz i, I actually see. was not super into it until that yeah. end and then i went oh oh okay because i was just like why why oh it's another nick nick cravats in it um yeah playing a mute so but it's it's another yeah because that's the unbelievable part about the movie <laughs> again <they're> like <laughs> you know, no the guy's got a bronx accent he can't be wielding machine guns and flamethrowers yeah. <laughs> in the 1700s that's ridiculous <laughs> I keep saying machine guns, but it is, is a Gatling gun. But it's uh, that ending. Yeah. Um, so just took me by surprise. <laughs> that uh, yeah, uh, I was like, okay, okay. Now I'm now I'm down. Now I like this. Yeah, I believe I had a similar and reaction. It's an, yeah. <laughs> it's another Robert Siad Mac mm-hmm. film. I think maybe their final collaboration. This, this thing with that he did return to a lot of directors. I think. And also an early appearance from Christopher Lee. Oh yeah, this one. Yeah. And I think Christopher Lee later said that that when he first got with when I was attached to this, it was a a serious pirate movie, and then it gradually became sillier and sillier as they went on, and basically, yeah, they turned it into a comedy. But the original script was a very serious pirate movie. Well, you know that makes sense. And I guess it's another one, sort of seeing. Uh, Burt Lancaster pick up the the Errol Flynn baton. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if you you can say Errol Flynn baton. The um, bottle, Errol Flynn bottle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, 
I meant more that a lot of uh, Errol Flynn, a lot of underage girls <laughs> maybe picked up the Errol Flynn. <laughs> <time>. <laughs> um, yeah, because this is like, yeah. uh, oh, what's it called? The classic Errol Flynn pirate movie. Captain yeah. Blood? Yeah, Captain Blood. I guess this is the Burt Lancaster's Captain Blood, but it turned into a sillier film. Yeah, that's fair yeah. to say. Yeah, I think uh, even the name, if you're looking at it that way, the name is uh, very much doing that. Yeah, because he does his one, one, one Robin Hood and then his one uh, Captain, well, yeah, pirate, and... pirate movie, which is like his two. And because this one's also a big, big uh, showcase for his acrobatics, yes. I think. Yeah. That... Well, he's doing the, I guess the, the term is swashbuckler. So. Yes, yeah, swashbuckler. And that's definitely what this is. Just buckling that yes. swash. <laughs> but uh, because of the way it ends, I do highly recommend this. Yeah, yeah I, this is shooting up my watch yeah. list. Because uh, I just went, what? <laughs> so, but you have to sit that, through a lot to get to that ending. Yes. But it's, it, I mean, well, it's like an hour and a half long. It's not, it's not bad. But, you know, when you, when, when I exclaim in surprise, for the movie that came out in the fifties, uh, that always makes me happy. So what's the other one that I did that to? Um, the Kiss Me Deadly. Yeah, that that one. I also I always tell people you need to watch this movie. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. that's up there. Unlike uh, you know he, I think the one that I kind of knew Burt Lancaster for before I ever even saw was From Here to Eternity. Because everyone knows that shot of the, him kissing the girl on the beach, and I did not care for that one. So, yeah, is that the next one? Uh, I've seen right. South Sea Woman, okay. which is like a of course <laughs> it's a war comedy oh. about Burt Lancaster and Chuck Connors. They're in China, I believe, and they have to race back to the United States to join in on World <laughs> War II. And it's it's actually a good movie, from what I recall. It was a good movie. Um, there's a fight with like a like Burt. Burt Lancaster and uh, Chuck Connors taking on, like, a, an entire Japanese warship at the end. They're, like, in this little, like, raft, you know, and they're taking on this entire Japanese battleship. And it's it's a good movie. It's not great, but I enjoyed it. Okay. So. Like it. Yeah, and he did a movie before that one <laughs> where he had to play a middle-aged man. And it was apparently a big thing back then. <laughs> okay. People like, oh, you're either young or Which you're old. Which this? Come back, little shit. But, Shiba. like, in between, wh- why would you do that? Okay, so he, it was a big deal that he played slightly. Uh, come back like 39. <laughs> okay, I can't be doing that. Oh, yeah, right. apparently. Well, I know it became a thing yeah. for him <laughs> a, a little later yeah. in his career when he he became, yeah. I don't know, I guess artier and, and more, even leaning more into his like uh, liberal views, like uh, very, li- very liberal actor, one of the f- first like really outspoken leftists of Hollywood, I guess. I think he did later in his, well, except, you know, the whole McCarty thing. Uh, uh, but yeah, he, I think later in life he did have to, like, renounce that he had ever been a member of the Communist Party uh, to get insurance or something. I don't remember what film that was from, but it was something. Like, he wasn't a member of the mm-hmm. Communist Party. Like, he wasn't that left-leaning. But uh, but then, yeah, it became a thing where he would uh, drop his hairpiece if he was doing, like, a series, if what he felt was a serious performance. He was like, oh, I'll show my bald spot in this one. Well, because, I mean, every actor was wearing a hairpiece in the 50s and 60s, I think. <laughs> but, yeah, that brings us to From Here to Eternity. Yeah. His, like, first, I guess, 
his big serious movie, which was well, this was his first uh, Academy Award nomination. I believe so. And uh, well, this was a big uh, Academy Award winner, like eight, eight, eight wins, which was a record at the time, I think. Yeah. This is a film that I should not have and, liked, uh, but I did. I generally don't like these soapy melodramas, but I'm two for two for soapy melodramas set during the Pearl Harbor attack. I like From Here to Eternity, and I like Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. Two films I probably shouldn't have liked, but I did. So maybe there's something about bombs dropping on like romantic love triangles that I enjoy, but I enjoyed From Here to Eternity quite a bit. There was another film that this reminded me <laughs> of with... Uh... John Wayne and Kirk Douglas, and I, the name is just escaping me right now, but it is very similar uh, in that it uh, just in that it revolves around the Pearl Harbor attack, uh, and I just kind of get the same vibes from both those films, and it's just not for me. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah, I thought it was good. Oh, I really dug it. Okay, I, mm-hmm. I love movies that humanize World War Two soldiers, and this one does it brilliantly but also speaking of the the age thing in hollywood uh, the two female leads deborah kerr and donna reed uh, were the same age at the time of filming except donna reed uh, plays a character that's like 20 years older than the other one deborah kerr plays the older she's the, the uh, like the captain's wife is it oh donna reed is the montgomery clifts uh, oh yeah sorry i got them mixed up then yeah yeah couldn't same hire age, old but women to they play a 20 year age difference on screen <laughs> Yeah, we are. No. <laughs> Where would you find him? No, and, and we also, we spoke, like, Burt Lancaster is a bit forgotten nowadays. But, like, you see Montgomery Clift in this one, and you're like, why is nobody talking about him? Well, yeah, I think he's, he, this is the Mon- Montgomery Clift steals, steals this movie. He is, he is incredible in it. I mean, he's from that, like, James Dean, Marlon Brando yeah. school of acting. Really, like, the... The early ones who just really got into it, and apparently he got into this one yeah, so hard, like he he couldn't even sh- he he couldn't shake it for like a while afterwards, and uh, uh, he really thought he was gonna win the Oscar for this one, Clift, and uh, when he didn't, that's really started like the, his deterioration of uh, he became a very infamously an alcoholic, how horrible had a horrible car crash. Well, not not just alcoholic, but like painkillers and. Pretty much everything. Yeah, I, th- I think the painkillers came after the car crash. Oh, that could be. And, yeah. Like, the recovery of the car crash made him addicted to painkillers as well. Yeah. But he was uh, he was an alcoholic from very early on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, infamous, uh, infamous uh, car accident that, uh, like, his whole face was ruined and stitched back together, I think. Pretty well. And, yeah, okay, k- kudos. Yeah. <laughs> But he, he, uh, he did take like a four-year break from acting to recover from the accident. Yeah, and then he, I mean, he died young in yeah. his mid-40s. Yeah. And I also a very, very closeted homosexual, which is, uh, probably had a lot to do with why he he had all his demons, too, that he yeah. just couldn't couldn't really accept himself, really. Yeah. I think... But yeah, Clifton Lancaster really sort of ended up canceling each other out at the Oscars and uh, William Holden won for Stalag 17 which I think uh, Holden said his whole career that I don't know why I won the Oscar for this one I, I don't even like this movie <laughs> <laughs> well it's a good good movie but it's not like necessarily great performance I mean uh, I think people hold it in high regard but Holden himself really did not 
Yeah, that's he always felt he should have won for uh, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I kind of agree with him on that. Yeah, Sunset Boulevard's a great movie. I watched that last year, yeah. and it's like, especially also just the best actress one in that one where nobody remembers who won. It was like Billy, no, who was it? It was like, but anyway, it's like everyone remembers all about even Sunset Boulevard, and they also like cancel each other out, and some the other performance ended up winning best actress, even though. It's like two of the best performances ever nominated. And I think in this film, yeah. Clift is the, definitely the more showy performance. You know, the more obvious, like, you know, I'm, I'm the wounded guy, or, you know, that that, that thing. The, yeah. the sympathy Oscar kind of performance. Uh, the guy that surprised me in this was actually Sinatra. I didn't know that he could act at all. I think he's actually pretty good. I, I made a note. Frank Sinatra, a very convincing actor as perpetual drunk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so maybe maybe not acting. I don't know. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very method. I think that was Clift also. A lot of drunk scenes in this. And yeah. he also was uh, supposedly drunk for all of them. Yeah. It's a realistic performance. He's, he's a method actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think Sinatra was desperate for this part because he was like, I, I will win the Oscar for this part. And what he did. And uh, he, he was his stock was super low at the time. He's also a tiny guy. I never thought about that. Uh, I didn't until he made a war movie in the '60s, and I realized that he was well. He made several, but I can't remember. The, the uh, Von Ryan's Express. The, the, yes, yeah, Von one. Ryan's Express. That's the one where I was like, "Oh, he's just a little dude." Short King. But uh, apparently, everyone uh, really likes From Here to Eternity except me. So fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was okay. I, I I thought the first half was definitely stronger than the the second half. But I I didn't get that it was building up to Pearl Harbor until like very close to the end, uh, and then okay. it started to pick up for me. You're like, was why this? is this World War Two movie set on Hawaii? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but then then they show like a, a, a calendar in the background, and I was like. Is that supposed to be important? Dece yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> and then they mentioned like, oh no, the the boxing finals will be in December. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? And then you, you paused why? the movie and you went on Google and was like, Google. Uh, why <laughs> December 1941? Did anything happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, why? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, really That's stacked good. cast yeah. on this one. A lot of uh, like Claude yeah. Akins and Jack Warden and Ernest, Ernest Borgnine. Uh, all yeah. in the supporting Borgna is a real bastard in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I loved him back then because he was always that character. He's always like a piece of shit. <laughs> and apparently he's like the friendliest man. So they're yeah. like, yeah, get you. You you get to play the bug-eyed weirdo and everything. <laughs> the spokesperson for uh, masturbation. Yep. <laughs> That's before, one of my favorite... Yeah. Before he On became air. the face of the face of masturbation, old age, <laughs> like senior, senior age masturbation. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, you haven't. <laughs> did I miss for something? For those who haven't seen it, yeah, it's an it's a, he's on a talk show, and uh, it's like they're asking like, oh, what's your secret to like living, uh, so, living long. so long, and that he's still you know uh, still working as an actor, and and he he's, he yeah he's whispering to the host, uh, who's hot mic'd. Yeah, but he doesn't realize that his mic's picking it up. He's like, I masturbate a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the secret to living long. Oh, well, I have something to look forward to then. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> well, then His Majesty O'Keefe, which is his final swashbuckler, I think. It's kind of a farewell to the king kind of movie, kind of like John Milius's farewell to the king, where he's like, he makes himself like the king of this like South Pacific island. And it's good. I remember, it, I remember it being very good, but I don't remember much about it other than I enjoyed it quite a bit. Right. Okay. Well, again, this is him returning to the director of I Walk Alone. Byron Haskin. So he always keeps going back to these directors, except uh, Fred Cinnamon from from Here to Eternity, which is one of the directors that Lancaster clashed really hard with on set about about everything. Well, and maybe like, it was because Cinnamon was coming off of um, High Noon's success, and maybe he was the one. He was the problem. No, I think Fred head. Cinnamon, on the other hand, has a reputation for being one of the most chill dudes in Hollywood uh, and was just like a, a guy who would get along with everyone and then this was like the one time when someone was a big enough dick to him that they got a reaction <laughs> out of him. Yeah, and also two of the other actors were continuously drunk. Yeah, I think Montgomery Cliff is just, just also just an, a difficult actor to work with probably. I mean, same, I same imagine, with, yeah. with Brando who's just also more documented because Brando obviously stayed acting and stayed difficult for much longer. He drank less but ate considerably more. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, his first uh, first time working with uh, Bob Aldrich after this one, Apache. Yeah, also his first time working for United Artists. Yeah, which is because uh, that's a thing where they... who was It was actually Universal before that? I think so. They would, uh, like they started making demands and stuff, and then he he just walked basically. I thought it was his own production company. Those last ones, but no, he did that too. But there was uh, maybe it was Crimson Pirate. I think maybe it was that one where it went over budget, and uh, Universal was like, "No, we're setting a cap on on budgets for Burt Lancaster movies." And Burt Lancaster just used his like I guess his Oscar. Uh, his newfound Oscar fame to well, he, only nomination, but whatever. Then to like basically just walk, walk to United Artists and was like, "Well, if you're gonna cap my budgets, then I'll work with someone else." Well, uh, what do you think about Apache? Oh, I didn't. No, watch I, I have not not seen it either. I just I know it has Charles Bronson and I guess mm-hmm. it's and uh, well, it's it's uh, Burt Lancaster's first brush with uh, doing brownface. Yep, him and uh, Gene Peters, who's the lead actress. Well, and Charles Bronson. Oh, yeah, well, Charles Bronson, you just, you look at the guy and you're like, well, what is this guy? So he he almost (laughs) gets away with it, like, every time. He's played everything from Korean to to Italian. I mean, the guy... Wait, there's a... Well, there's a Charles Bronson playing a Korean movie? I don't know, I think, I swear there is, but maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but I thought Apache was pretty good. Yeah, but you got this guy, bright, blue eyes. Um, the only thing he's got, his hair darkened, and he's in brown face, or red face, however you want to say it. And him and Gene Peters, and it is kind of awkward, but I think that the movie is very sympathetic to the natives. So it's, you know, you can't, it's, it's hard to like truly hate on it oh, it'd be difficult if they made it because it's it's like they're the leads made from their yeah. perspective and then you're like oh no we're just gonna make this movie also m- about miserable bastards well, my <laughs> understanding is that it's based on a book where the characters 
uh, are a little more um, savage, and they, they get killed off at the end of the book. I also understand it's based on a real-life guy. The oh, guy I didn't who, know that. The guy who Burt Lancaster placed in this supposedly did did live in real life, but he was obviously not six foot five and blue eyed. I don't know if Burt Lancaster was six foot five. That sounds very high. <laughs> he does seem tall, you know. However tall he is, um, I was thinking that when I was watching Castle Keep. He's the, I think the tallest person in the movie. Yeah, so but he does come off in our it? in our next movie. Uh, we're I, gonna see him stand next to a, a different guy, and he looks shorter. So, okay. I, I think he was uh, like one meter eighty-five, so pretty much the same as I am. He looks tall. Yeah, he does. Probably helps being fit. Yeah, well, he does have good posture. Pro- probably helps standing next to Sinatra. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. One well, in Castle Cave, stand next to Pierre Falk. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the be 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 tall and then stand next to short guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the trick. Yeah, and then the next one is. We've we've teased it a bunch of times, uh, Vera Cruz, where uh, we we even covered it on the Gary Cooper episode, yep. uh, where he stands yes. next to the taller Gary Cooper and doesn't look that tall. And boy, am I happy that you guys made me watch this one. Yeah. Okay. So what? Oh wow. I guess I'd like to hear your thoughts uh, right off the bat then about this one. Yeah, it's it starts off like immediately hits the ground running. Gary Cooper and Burt Lancaster not liking each other. And then pretty quickly being sort of forced by circumstance to work together. So you immediately have this dynamic that, like you said, that it said a lot of cliches for movies that came after. Mm -hmm. Like the two people who hate each other having to work together is one of them, I think. And it just works brilliantly. And I think Bert is absolutely fantastic with a shit-eating grin. And uh, yeah, I I think do think that Cooper is a bit stiff, though. My one I get the f- negative. I get the feeling, and I'm probably exactly wrong again on this, but I got the feeling that Bert and and Gary Cooper there did not get along, and for re- in real well, life. I, when I watch this, I did hear or read that um, Gary Cooper would not accept changes that Lancaster suggested. Hmm. Like Lancaster wanted his character to survive the movie, and Cooper was like. If I don't get to shoot him, I don't. I walk away right now. Okay. Oh, well, I agree with Gary Cooper then. Well, because I thought maybe this was like yeah. a, a thing, like like showing like Lancaster willing to take take the swigs that he was like, oh no, he, they can kill me. But I guess I guess he wasn't as cool as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but I know this is yeah. this sort of came. I didn't really come about from it, but I know that John Wayne for for years wanted to to try to work with Lancaster. Lancaster was on the short list for uh, the Clift part in uh, Red River, and that um, mm-hmm. Lancaster always turned down the opportunity to work with with John Wayne, who he saw as being he didn't want to associate with John Wayne and his extreme, extremely outspoken uh, Republican conservative views. Uh, but then Gary Cooper, who also was a conservative, but much less uh, publicly and outspokenly so. So Burt Lancaster kind of accepted to this movie with, with Gary Cooper basically as a sort of a bit of a middle finger to, to John Wayne also. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. But yeah, I think it's a masterpiece too. It feels like 10 years ahead of its time with its stylized gunplay where they're just like shooting candlesticks out of the air and the mean, tough, <coughs> amoral characters and all the... Um, backstabbing and the tough violence. 
in the Mexican setting, it just feels like something out of place in time. And it's it's a it's a great movie to watch. It's full of action even by today's standards and Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the candlestick part, that feels like something out of spaghetti western almost. Yeah. A lot of the movie actually feels like something out of a spaghetti western. Um you know, not just the setting, but the definitely these kind of morally gray characters that populate the entire movie. There's really nobody in the movie that's a good person. They're all yeah. no thieves and and liars and cheats and they're all doing things. Gary Cooper might be like kind of the most upright character and he's is a ex Confederate um slave owner mm-hmm. who lost everything because he was you know, he was on the Confederate side and he comes down basically to get a fortune so he can go try and rebuild a plantation. If yeah, his, he doesn't really become yeah. Yeah, he doesn't really become a hero until like the very end, where he decides to help the waristas. Yeah, and and I think he only yeah. does that because he wants to be on the winning side of something again. And yeah, I think I casting an older actor uh, in that role is is so smart, and casting Gary Cooper, it's like that's just so spot on. It's just perfect. I mean, even though Gary Cooper probably thinks his character is like thirty one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> very typical of Gary Cooper, who just he, all the way through his career just thought he could play characters that were so much younger than him. Like in in High Noon, he's supposed to be like thirty, and Man of the West, he's supposed to be in his thirties, and it's like, and uh, they came to Cordora again, supposed to be in his like his thirties, and it's like, <laughs> no, dude, you're sixty five. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Gary Cooper had this incredible performance, actually. A really underplayed performance, just slowly revealing himself a little bit. And I think it's it's perfect uh, opposite uh, uh, Burt Lancaster's, who's just playing it big the whole time. Yeah, and cards on the table oh, the yeah. whole time. Like, he, he's never, like, his... As far as uh, dishonesty goes, nope. He's he's right up front. He's like, nope. I'm gonna, I'm 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 gonna backstab you. Like that's what he basically says. Like all every other scene. Yeah, I think yeah, he's a grinning psychopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a wicked yeah. bastard the whole time, a madman. But like, yeah, just just like a perfect combination of those two actors playing off each other. Really. Like, was he known at this time already to have like a nice smile? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's, so. You just yeah. that's why I called it the grin. All you see yeah. is, and he really plays with it in this one. Oh, you yeah. see, see his movie posters like back from like fifty and outwards, just always, always huge grin. And uh, the other thing about this movie is uh, that I noticed last time I watched it, which uh, the other day, uh, a lot of homoerotic subtext. I did yep. not pick up on it the first time I watched it, but it is there in spades. I'm oh, guessing cool. Gary Cooper also did not pick up on that at any <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> well, there's a dance scene between Ernest Borgnine and Jack Ellum, isn't there, where they're like dancing uh-huh. together and during a hoedown? Yeah, well, they're, they, it starts off with them making fun of the the noble's dance, and then they just really get into it, and you're like, okay, this is movie's taking a turn. But, <laughs> I mean, the movie ends with, Gary Cooper basically crying over having to kill uh, Burt Lancaster. <laughs> like what? <laughs> he was the only man I ever loved. <laughs> <laughs> but it. Well, I missed that too. I, I missed it too on my first viewing. 
I, because they're so prominent roles for two women. Yeah. The, the two women that they don't really care about at all. That the is The closest true. they come to caring yeah. about anybody is each other. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why Lancaster keeps saying, you are a big old softy. You know, just this... Oh, right, the soft spot. Yeah. yeah. Just like constant. And, you know, it's almost when they talk to the women, it's almost like they're making each other jealous. It's so, it's so on the nose. I was, I was pretty surprised the last time I watched it. You just, the beginning when they, they're talking to each other and, you know, you get a horse for a sale or a man and he goes, which one are you, you know, or which one is it? And, you know, it's just like, that this the dialogue even that that kind of play they're like flirting constantly. I think we're just gonna have to do a Vera Cruz episode at this point, yeah. or we're just spending <laughs> yeah. the, the entire. It's a good idea. The entire episode on this. That's true, but okay, uh, I, I do highly recommend anybody watch Vera Cruz. The it is uh, feels like a very early spaghetti western. It's definitely uh, impactful for the action genre as a whole. That entire ending with Gary Cooper on the um, on the machine gun—it's just there's so much going on in this. Lancaster doing his own stunts again, climbing up the top of the or the roof to the building to talk to the lady at the end—impressive stuff. He's I think forty yeah. in this, forty-one. Good, he's doing great stuff. Very athletic. He and that's why finished. I love him. He kept fit, fit as long as he could. He was just also yeah. a, a chronic chain smoker, which was his downfall. Yeah, but this was back when smoking was healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean, well, when we get to the end of his career, it's uh, it's definitely not anymore. <laughs> Again, next up, I guess it's his directorial debut, The Kentuckian. Yeah, I've seen that one. It's just okay. It's it's nothing special. It's just like a frontier western where he's like living with his son out in a cabin somewhere and. It's not great, but it's not terrible either. No, in, it was infamously such a bomb that he stayed away from directing for well, 20 years, basically. Which really, I think mm-hmm. he, that was the thing that he wanted to get into more. But then when his, his debut was so poorly received, he just didn't didn't go back to it. Yeah, it makes sense. It's, uh, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then we have Trep. Piece, which I didn't watch, but that's his big like, well, his, his real big showcase movie, I guess, is because that's the one that where he plays a circus artist, basically based on his own life. Probably should have should have watched that one. Yeah, yeah. Seems like a, a pretty canonical Burt Lancaster movie to just have. He not not made. But a, I don't think it's made effort. All that easy to get hold of. Oh. Oh, I can get hold of anything. I think. Watch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well. um yeah, it was the next one anybody's seen. Has anybody watched the gunfight at OK Corral? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. I believe that was the first one, first Burt Lancaster movie I ever saw. I was very excited for it because it's directed by John Sturgis, who's one of my favorite directors. He directed the original Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape and Bad Day at Black Rock. So I was pretty excited to see Gunfight at the OK Corral, and it's pretty good. It's not great. The action scenes... Well, I should say the action scene because there's only like one of them in the entire movie. The, the, of course, the titular, the okay yeah, yeah, the titular event. It's it's pretty excellent. One of the best Western gunfights of all time up to that point in history. There's a lot of macho bonding between Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster, which is cool, and other things. And um, the Dimitri Tiampin Dimitri Tiampin Dimitri Tiampin score is pretty good too. 
But other than that, it's pretty talky. Not a lot of action until the end. So it's it's pretty good, but not great. Yeah, I mean, this is the big, big Bert and Kurt, Kirk film, I guess. They were playing yeah. Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Yeah, I think this was also mm-hmm. my first uh, Burt Lancaster movie. I'm not a hundred. One question for Burt Lancaster: Where's the damn mustache? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wyatt yeah. Earp was known for his mustache, so that's just a weird choice. I think this was my first two. It's definitely it's this one or uh, the Professionals, but I think it was this one. Remembering back, I also it's it's pretty good. Uh, but I, I prefer the, the not-quite-but-sequel, Hour of the Gun. Was, oh, yeah, uh, I do, too. Oh, yeah. John Sturge is going back to it. Didn't bring back any of the actors because it was 10 years later. So it's James Garner and Jason Robards instead. And, I mean, because this one, it's the, the gunfight at the OK Corral is the climax. It's the last thing that happens in the movie. And Hour of the Gun, it's the first thing that happens in the movie. And then you, you follow it afterwards. And I think... I thought that one was a much more interesting take on it. Hmm. I agree with that. I prefer Tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> Great mustache. Mostly because of the mustaches. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Amazing mustaches. Everybody's got great mustaches. <laughs> Even the women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, no, I think my favorite take on it is definitely my darling Clementine. Really? Yeah, you, you can't really beat John Ford. You can <laughs> you you cannot. That's he's the. I actually don't like John Ford, so even though he's made one either. of my favorite movies of all time, but ever other than that, I don't really like it. Well, that's your major character flaw. It is. I've been told <laughs> this before. Well, and next up is one that is uh, from uh, Burt Lancaster's production company, uh, "A Sweet Smell of Success," which I think. I understand that Lancaster looked at playing the Tony Curtis part in this originally when he acquired the script and then ended up playing the, well, the Burt Lancaster part. Uh, this is... Which is basically just like a cameo, It's right? not a cameo, but he's top build, but it's a uh, supporting part for sure. He's got several scenes in it. It's a, it's, a, it's a big part, but it's definitely Tony Curtis is the lead, Burt Lancaster is the supporting in this one, despite the billing making you think otherwise. Uh, but no, uh, both both Curtis and Lancaster are incredible in this movie. Um, it's like uh, Lancaster plays this columnist, gossip columnist, uh, for, who has a huge, huge sway in the cultural scene. And uh, well, Tony Curtis is, is a young, aspiring uh, writer who who like wants to basically he's doing Lancaster's bidding for him and wants to like get on his good side and make his break and they just put both of them are just slimy bastards no one you don't have sympathy for any any one of them and it's so good even though you hate everyone <laughs> yeah i saw it a long time ago but i really want to rewatch this film it. has been highly recommended to me a number of times and i just have not gotten around to it i haven't either yeah in fact, a uh, friend of mine gave it to me on drive. He ripped it for me. Just you got to watch this movie, and then I, I still have it. <laughs> Great performances. Like I'd maybe I'd rank this as uh, definitely top three. Lancaster, Tony Curtis is best. Tony Curtis never better than this. You can see why why Lancaster wanted to play that part originally, but I guess I guess he was too old by that part, and he 
time by that time and he realized it but well, did he did also really like tony curtis i think yeah because they worked together in trapeze and he thought that tony curtis was one of the big upcoming young stars yeah sure and that's and he wanted yeah. to sort of take him under his yeah way. and then he he was like okay i have this great part but it's for an actor that's much younger than me he didn't do the gary cooper thing and was like oh no i can pull off playing 25 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the next one's Run Silent, Run Deep. You said that this is there's been I, a uh, adaptation for a Star Trek episode. It's called Balance of Terror, and that one is basically modeled on Run Silent, Run Deep, except it's spaceships instead of submarines. And obviously, Captain Kirk does not have to relent the, uh, like he doesn't have to rival uh, Clark Gable for the command of the submarine. Yeah. Okay. Um. I didn't like this one. I don't like submarine movies. So film noir, submarine movies, two types of films I usually don't like. So I, this is no exception. I, I didn't really like it. But. It's, it's two of the best types. Okay. All right. At least there's no film noirs on submarine I, I kind of like yeah. <laughs> submarine thrillers. There's something about the, the claustrophobic nature. Um, it's very tense because you're like any mistake and everyone dies. So I, I've always liked that. Yeah aspect this is one that really plays with that because it's just about strategy um and and intrigue they're like there's a whole subplot where there's a moment in the main plot i guess i should say where they're trying to figure out how the japanese could know who these who they all are and you know it's just great stuff like that where like how how does the enemy know who's on this boat or who's on this submarine, like that kind of thing. We have a spy, you know, these questions. Um, but anyway, that, that sort of thing is great. Um, but this movie is really about this kind of tug of war of the command between Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster. And uh, it's pretty cool seeing these two guys play off each other um, at this point, even though, Lancaster is clearly playing like the younger upstart, even though he's in his forties or whatever. Um, still, still cool to see these guys kind of like buttheads. Well, I think early forties is young for the submarine I commander. I, I wouldn't know. Yeah, <laughs> but well, me neither. But I just assume. But yeah, I think it's very good. I think it's a tense thriller, um, especially for the time. I think. The genre has improved since this came out, but it's pretty cool, regardless. And you hated it. <laughs> That's right. Damn right, I hated it. That's fine. Would you say it was subpar? <laughs> yes, I would. Hey, oh. I like anything where the the focus is not on the spectacle but the strategy, and I think this kind of straddles the line. Yeah, that's what I love about the Star Trek episode too. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, it was directed by Robert Weiss, who directed the first Star Trek movie. Oh, well, no. holy crap. I know him as the Sound mm. of Music guy, but that's funny. <laughs> he did that one too, yeah. Or West Side Story, both. Yeah, that's funny. He was, uh, started out as Orson Welles' editor. Yeah. Oh, learned from the Oh, best. this guy, I'm looking at his thing now, and he's done several movies that I liked and I'm aware of. Did a Day the Earth Stood Still, The Andromeda Strain. The Sand Pebbles? I've not watched that yet. That's a great movie. That's oh, a great yeah. Movie, yeah. Well, I haven't watched Audrey Rose yet, but I'm curious about that one. Yeah, I, I used to always see that uh, the video store. I've never picked it up. But this mm-hmm. guy's got uh, 
He's got a lot of movies that. Alright. Yeah, I'll back on the list. I've seen all I've seen a yeah. lot of these. <laughs> yeah, none we've of them seen too the many. Scene. We've seen too many Burt Lancaster movies, to be honest, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's a two part episode. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Any we do we do it one time we do our homework and you're still not yeah. satisfied. We did it too well. Yeah, well, I I opened this and I was like, oh wait, I've seen like twenty two Burt Lancaster movies. That's more than I expected. I wasn't aware how yeah. many I'd seen. Uh, anyone seen uh, Separate Tables, Devil's Disciple? I have not. No, I've seen the no, Unforgiven. Well then, then. yeah, the I have too. Uh, this was uh, it's a John Huston movie. I watched it earlier this year when I watched all forty-four of Audie Murphy's uh, theatrical released movies. Every single credit. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's, it was Fred Williamson and Audie Murphy and Burt Lancaster. That's all you've seen this year. <laughs> Almost. I mean, I watched every yeah. single movie Audie Murphy ever made, and that's, it was still fewer than the Fred Williamson movies I watched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this is this was John Huston's kind of reply to the Searchers. Yeah. I believe it it stars Lancaster and Audie Murphy as brothers and it has Lillian Gish as their mom and then Audrey Hepburn plays their sister who Twist is half native. It's the that's the that's sort of like the the searchers reply part of it. Which tells me that they have a surface level understanding of the searchers. I I'm again I'm gonna come out and say point John Ford. Yeah. Yeah. On this one, I'm not not a fan of Unforgiven, really. Uh, the Unforgiven, huge fan of Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, but The Unforgiven, yeah. <laughs> not as much. I think my favorite part of this was when uh, there's clearly a scene that Burt Lancaster has insisted on, where he gets to lift the piano on his back, <laughs> like a, a giant organ. I'm like, yeah, this was Burt Lancaster was like, <laughs> I'll do this movie if you let me show off by lifting uh, up a up a up a an okay. organ. So he does have a giant organ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, well, cleared it up. Yeah, <laughs> I actually like this one more than the Searchers. I I enjoyed the Unforgiven quite a bit, and the Searchers for me just doesn't really work too well for me. Not that it's bad or anything, but it just it's pretty good, but not didn't really work for me as much as the Unforgiven did. Which your taste becomes more questionable by the day. Yeah, well, we haven't got to Castle Keep yet, so we'll... okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I liked the the gunfight where they they have to shoot out the, the little hole, the notch in the door and the and the windows and stuff. I liked all that stuff. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. But and Lillian Gish gets to kill people in this, doesn't she? If I recall yeah. correctly, I'm actually very yeah, happy that Lillian Gish is in this because there is a huge shootout at the end. Also, I would just like to state it's a grand piano, not an organ. <laughs> oh, too uh, bad. He, he lifts. Well, yeah, I think uh, I haven't seen anything uh, from Unforgiven and up until the train. So. Oh, uh, I I meant to watch Elmer Gantry this morning and I overslept for it because that's his Oscar-winning part. Oh, wait, is, is Lillian Gish the, the old foster mom in Night of the Hunter? That's right. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, she she walks around with a shotgun in that one as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Okay, sorry. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, Elmer Gantry. I, I mean, I didn't watch it. So, uh, but that's the one he won an Oscar for, and he. This is one that he he did it as a as a it's, it's a crit, critique of um, the rise of evangelicalism in in America at the time. We place a, a con man slash priest. I think. Again, didn't watch it, so I don't have much to say. The next one I did watch was Birdman of Alcatraz. It's a famous movie Anyone? that I've just never seen. I've is, seen. Yeah. I was just going to say, I've seen The Young Savages and Judgment at Nuremberg before that. The Young Savages, just okay. But Judgment at Nuremberg, I usually don't like courtroom films, but I do like Judgment at Nuremberg quite a bit. That's a good one. About the persecution of the Nazis following World War II for their war crimes. And that's a good one. Yeah, that's, it's also it's uh, Montgomery Clift and Lancaster back again. And, I mean, Lancaster basically plays a Nazi criminal in this one, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a pretty bold bold part to take, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I heard this is... Yeah, I heard great things about this. Because uh, uh, Stanley Kramer often make, makes very, very dry, very, like, self-important movies. And this one runs, like, three hours, so people are like, no, no, this is the this is the time that when Stanley Kramer actually got it. Like, he, he really did make a movie that's that doesn't feel like a, a three-hour court drama here. Yeah, it's a good one. It's got Richard Widmark in it, too, so it's solid. Okay. Yeah. Birdman of Alcatraz, this uh, uh, Lancaster reteaming with John Frankenheimer, who also did Young Savages. And in this case, I think there was Charles Crichton was the originally directing this one. Um, British guy did um, uh, what's the one where Alec Guinness steals a bunch of gold and turns it into the Eiffel Towers he did that one what (laughs) oh it's called the uh, something gang the Lavender Hill Mob it's called Ah. it's classic Ealing comedy that was I think Alec Guinness's first Academy Award nominated nation but and then he got Crichton got fired of this one, and that basically ended his Hollywood career. I don't think he made a uh, a real, a proper big movie again until A Fish Called Wanda, which came out like 25 years after this. Uh, but then, yeah, the Lancaster brought uh, Frankenheimer in to take over. And, um, yeah, he plays a, plays a guy who goes to prison young and then just he becomes like a... He gets... The, he's in in prison, and then he kills a guard in prison, and uh, he basically spends the rest of his life in prison. And uh, he he finds a bird at one point, and he raises the bird, and then gets more birds and become famous as a birdman. Even though he, he's he's not in Alcatraz, actually. Is he's, he Bird Lancaster? I just wanted to make that joke. <laughs> bird Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he he basically become goes on to become like a renowned bird expert by just tra- treating birds, and then later he's transferred to Alcatraz where he doesn't have birds, so he's he's not a birdman <laughs> at Alcatraz at all. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a showy Burt Lancaster performance. This is one of the ones where he he takes his hairpiece off to he got him an Oscar nomination. I don't know. I thought it was it was okay. It, uh, Definitely stronger at the first half, and then it just keeps going. It's 150 minutes long. Didn't need to be 150 minutes long, I think. I had lost interest by then. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I thought it was a good movie. Okay. It, it shows the, um, Alcatraz Revolt again that Brute Force is uh, sort of based on, and in this one 
shows him, him again during the real one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. I liked it. <laughs> I heard that it, uh, they, they they changed the character quite a bit because it's a biopic. Robert Stroud was a real man, uh, but they make him very very sympathetic in this one. And apparently, in real life, they were like, "No, we cannot let this man out of prison. We are genuinely worried." that he would uh, maybe attack and molest children and that he was like a real nasty person in real life. And this one really washes him quite clean. <laughs> Gnarly. Was yeah. he still alive when yeah. he made the movie? He, he, uh, he yeah. died in like 1963 or 64 or something. Like okay. right around the time the movie came out. He was not allowed to watch it. It is a revered movie though, I think. Yeah, he scored so a couple it, yeah. of Oscar nominations. I'm always surprised... How long Frankenheimer was at the top of his game? Absolutely. That guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, I only say that because the next movie I've seen is The Train, so. Well, that's not even the next Frankenheimer movie, is it? No. But I guess The Leopard was the one. Yes. Everyone's it's kind of like the it. Italian Gone with the Wind, it feels like. Gone with Wind set in Italy, so we have to sympathize with these poor, poor aristocrats as they start losing their power, and it goes for like 25 hours, and it's... I hated it. <laughs> did, did you watch the English version or the Italian version? It's been forever since I've seen it, but I think it was the English language version. Okay. I watched the Italian version, which is 20 minutes longer. Oh. <laughs> mm. Sorry. Like, like, the weird thing is, like, Italians always dub their movies, but... You're watching this movie in Italian, so you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to get the official original language. Not the case. It's still like really badly dubbed. I think Claudia Cardinale didn't even dub herself, even though she is Italian. It's it's really long, really tedious, boring, like nothing happens. It's supposed to be about these aristocrats who lose their power, but we don't really see them lose their power. Like, we just see them at parties and being sad, and <laughs> that's basically it. My main thing I know about this one, it's got uh, it's, uh, Terrence Hill is in it, pre-fame, oh, and yeah. Juliana Gemma's in it before you make a spaghetti western break. And uh, Gemma is kind of the um, spaghetti western version of uh, Burt Lancaster, I feel. It's in a sort of interesting way. Hmm. I did make a note of surprise Terrence Hill. Quite happy with that, yeah. Gemma also had an athletic background and giant famous grin, and so that, I think that was fun. Sort of like that there is a movie where they actually appear together, but I didn't watch this one. Didn't set off the seven and a half hours. No. <laughs> well, it's only only free, but re- yeah, nothing happens. And I guess then, did anyone watch Seven Days in May? The Another Frankenheimer, Lancaster yeah. one. Yeah, I saw that one. It's, it's a good movie about like an attempted coup in the United States during the Cold War. Once again, Kirk Douglas is in it, and it's a good movie. Yeah, I'm going to have to check yeah, this, this out because I really like Frankenheimer. Yeah, I, I'm interesting. I can't this. remember much about it, to be honest, but I remember that I did enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, he's back with uh, Ava Gardner. I believe so. From the Killers. How cool is that? 20-year difference. And then we can finally get to Brenton's prom queen. It is. John Frankenheimer's The Trade. My favorite movie of that entire year, 1964. Well, to be fair, it is a fantastic film. Great movie. Love this one. War Actioner with Burt Lancaster. I 
would even go so far as to say when it comes to World War II movies with Burt Lancaster that are about protecting art, this is the best one. No, I actually, no. I'm gonna, <laughs> I think this would make a fantastic double feature with Castle Keep. I really do. I honestly believe that. Yeah. I think yeah, the train well, is okay. It's pretty good. Not one of my favorites, but it's a good movie. It's good. I was waiting to hear your bad take on this. <laughs> I, I, I'm more positive than negative. This movie is essentially die hard, so it's fantastic. Okay, well, I thought this was always like this played a lot similar it, to like the original Glory Inglorious Bastards. That I thought was like sort of this was the like the classier version, not the Italian trashy version. But this was sort of like the this was like the the big Hollywood version of that. Yeah, um, just and yeah. Well, fantastic movie. He's a reluctant hero. Um, he he d- ends up basically becoming the resistance, whom he doesn't really want anything to do with. And that is so cool. <laughs> He's just trying to stop the Nazis on the, yeah, this think... train full of uh, eventually um, people, but also art that they're, you know, it's just, I love this. Um, all the stuff, the painting on top of the, um, on the, the cars. And I mean, this movie is just tense and there's so much going on all the time. And it's clever. They, they, part where they crash a train um just there's so much cool stuff yeah beautiful black and white photography mm-hmm. um and it's yeah and it's I, kind of mean i and love dark. his character arc yeah yeah i love that i love that he has such a good arc definitely check out the train if you have not yeah i i've tried to get uh a few people to watch this movie nobody nobody wants to watch a movie a black and white movie from 1964 apparently but they're all wrong this movie's great the ending yeah. is a hell of an ending, but it is quite a ride the whole well, way through. Well, not just the ending. Their earliest sequences when the Nazis bomb like a train station or something. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, like a hundred plus bombs going over something. Yeah. The, it's amazing. This has every everything you need to make a movie great. This this movie has, has it in spades. It's fantastic. I, I yeah. highly recommend anybody watch this movie. I, don't, I almost don't want to go into it too much because like it spoils it because everything that happens is, is kind of surprising but i really really recommend people watch this the train john frankenheimer 1964 burt lancaster fantastic movie just go watch it <laughs> pause this podcast watch the train come back to us yeah yeah <laughs> uh, there's a very Did anyone watch oh i was gonna say there's a new no no co- uh go ahead uh release newish release from uh kino lorber on Blu-ray, yeah. looks great, great cover and everything, 4K Blu-ray, uh, it's beautiful, uh, and this movie deserves every bit of it, uh, and then you got a couple of years where I haven't seen any of his stuff, so. <laughs> well, the Hallelujah Trail comes next, and that's John Sturgis doing what he should not do, and that's comedy. It's not terrible, <laughs> but it's pretty forgettable, doesn't have any great action scenes or anything like that, it's just like a western about alcohol or something like that i can't even remember it's pretty forgettable all right well the next one that i've seen is not forgettable and that's richard brooks the professional right, there we go that's where uh, that one's excellent come yeah, back in the next yeah. one burt lancaster lee marvin robert ryan woody strode jack palance men's men well he's the he's the bad guy yeah. isn't he no yeah. he's not the bad guy well, he's the faux bad Jesus. guy 
turns out to be sympathetic, but I mean, like, Birdly, Ryan, and Strode, those are the professionals, the titular professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Claudia Cardinale is in it as well. Not really a man's man, but <laughs> worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah, and well, it's about these. This big guy, Ralph Bellamy, plays this millionaire, hires four adventurers, the titular professionals, to uh, track down his wife, who's being kidnapped by uh, Jack Palance, playing a Mexican bandit. Yeah, yeah you want to see a bunch of movie stars uh, play badass and get great badass lines. This is the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. great men of a men on a mission movie. I, I love this movie. But I do think the first half is probably better than the second half, if that's an opinion. You prefer the, the setup to the payoff? Yeah, I mean, the most of the second half is them just kind of, like, lounging around the desert after they've rescued or rescued Claudia Cardinale. So, I don't know. I think the first half where they're kind of, like, adventuring and shooting up people is probably better than the second half. But I do love this movie, so it's not like I'm knocking it too hard. I think it has a great, the great uh, final with like uh, Lancaster on his own in the desert and uh, the hills there with his shotgun. Oh yeah, that is a good scene where the guy rolls down the hill after he shoots him with a shotgun. Yeah, and that's the, a gr- great little set piece for uh, for Lancaster to sort of like let him have the, I don't know if he made sure to have the climax on his own here or what. It's not as violent as I thought it was going to be because when I saw this movie, The Professionals, with all these actors i thought it was gonna be like a proto the wild bunch type movie but it's not really that way it's it's a lot cheekier than i thought it was going to be they're having fun yeah they're having fun it's not like a tough ultra violent film like the wild bunch no definitely not definitely does not have the like downbeat cynicism of uh of the wild bunch richard uh richard brooks had a little little uh brighter out view on life than sam peckinpah i guess (laughs) it's a great looking movie too though like conrad l hall shoots the hell out of this movie and i remember being really impressed with uh bird lancaster climbing a rock face yeah that's this movie right yeah, yeah. yeah. still showing off his physique and at this yeah. point he's what 54 he looks old yeah really impressed with this one okay. i like it i uh i also i think i think it's just a, a like a tough badass movie i think uh, as far as these westerns that came out around this time this i don't know what do you call it like a sort of in the midst of the spaghetti western uh like you know glory time the golden age there um you had this this kind of movie come out and it's great i think it stands up has it haven't you seen the scalp hunters yeah oh yeah i watched it and i i really enjoyed it this one is also this one is funnier too this is more comedic but this one definitely sets that up straight away uh, I didn't. I was great. It's sort of like a proto buddy cop movie almost with uh, Burt Lancaster and Ossie Davis. Lancaster's a fur hunter, and uh, Davis plays this um, really educated slave that he Lancaster sort of forced to to team up with. And basically, he meets this native tribe at the start, and they're like, "We want your furs," and he's like, "I don't want to give you my furs," and they're like, "Oh, we'll trade you for this slave." and uh, he's like, I don't want to do that. But they're like, oh, we're going to kill him if you don't take him. And then he reluctantly has to agree to to trade his furs for the slave so they don't kill him. I thought it was pretty average. I don't think it was good as the title let on, but I don't hate it. It's got a great title. That's it, the, the title sells something that the movie isn't for sure. Yeah. 
But I don't know. Ossie Davis in this one was just like a revelation for me. Such a, such a great performance. And yeah, I just I thought it was a funny western with, uh, with some good action stuff. Well done. Next up, if anyone's seen it, is is uh, supposedly Burt Lancaster's favorite film of his own, The Swimmer. Yeah, this is the one that I I meant to watch, but instead watched Veracruz um, for the fiftieth time. <laughs> I do want to watch uh, it, um, but I, yeah, haven't gotten around to it. Me too. To my shame. The same. Disrespecting Burt Lancaster here. <laughs> I guess that leaves us with uh, Castle Keep. Oh, my favorite Burt Lancaster film. This is like... Do you really, really like it? Oh, I really love this movie. It's kind of like this oniric World War II film about these American GIs who bunk themselves in a medieval Belgian castle on the eve of the Battle of the Bulge. And they just talk in non-sequiturs the whole time. And it's it makes you feel like you're trapped in someone's dream or something like that. It's it's like, Ashi Antelou goes to war, or Eraserhead goes to war... Although not as graphic as those two movies. But it feels like something that like Louis Bunuel and John Milius would have come up together. It's got kind of like, you know, the surrealism of Bunuel. It's got that like macho, tough guy, like almost like subversively macho, tough guy edge of a Milius film as like Lancaster struts around with his pat shy on top of a horse and he's mowing down Nazis with a 50 cal. And I really enjoy it a lot. It works for me, but most people don't like it. Yeah, I think. Sidney Pollack is just a completely wrong director for this one. Uh, coming, to, Joining back with Lancaster, he also helped uh, Scalp Hunters, but you say Louis Bunuel, and yeah, I would have loved to see what a version directed by Louis Bunuel looked like, because Sidney Pollack, just too much of a normie, too, too, straight, too, <laughs> too straight up an arrow for this uh, sort of like high concept uh, mixture of, of whatever it was. Like I I I enjoyed it, but I rated it, it a lot lower than you did. A lot of great performances in this one. Fun mm-hmm. with like Peter Falk is in it. I thought he was great, and uh, Bruce Dern turns up for a bit. Oh yeah, and, uh, Bruce Dern. He's the one who has he has an anecdote about how um, Burt Lancaster's wife came to visit him on this one, and Burt Lancaster just couldn't even be bothered to pretend he wasn't having an affair with one of the actresses oh. and. <laughs> That's why Burt Lancaster's got divorced in 1969. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had the only other Pollock film I think I'd ever seen. Well, I'd seen The Firm, but I also seen Jeremiah Johnson, which I really liked. But this is now my favorite Sidney Pollock film by a, a good mile. Because uh, I actually am oh, wow. Brandon on this. I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> yeah. I loved this so movie wacky. so much. The, it, it, to me is like it's super meta. First off, the, mo- the whole movie is. The, there's a part where uh, Al Freeman is just he's narrating the movie, and then the guy, um, what's uh, Patrick O'Neill, he suddenly is just like, "Are you done?" <laughs> he just interrupts him. <laughs> he, can I, he's like, "Can I go back to the movie now?" You know, like just like in the middle of the, he's like, "I'm giving a lecture here about on art," and that is. I was I was like yeah I just started clapping I was like this is amazing I love this movie um, there's this dry cynical wit to the dialogue it's very very American um, so I I think that might be why Brandon and I like it it very much caters to our tastes our particular tastes um, okay. hmm. uh, I think Burt Lancaster looks fantastic he's got his scars and the eye patch and yeah yeah. I, I... I did get the feeling that he was in a different movie 
from everybody He's, else. Every, everyone kind of acts like that. Everyone's he brought up like it's like somebody's dream. I I think it's more like every character is in their own dream. Oh. So there's a part where one guy is like in a love affair with a Volkswagen. There's a guy yeah. that uh, he there one of the best scenes of the movie is a scene where there is a one of the soldiers is is um, playing a flute. He's playing the, this nursery rhyme, and he's getting it wrong. And the you hear a German guy from the woods. They're like, he's like, oh, you're you're playing it wrong. That's not right. You know, he's like, you got, he starts humming it right. He's like, you got to do it like this. And they're like, who are you? He's like, I'm a German. <laughs> what are you doing out there? He's like, we're surrounding the castle. <laughs> he's like, he's like, throw me the flute so I can yeah. fix it for you. And then he throws him the flute and he's like, now you play like this. And he's, and you hear it. And then Peter Falk just shoots and kills that guy. <laughs> and they walk up and they're like, what are you doing? Why he's, and yeah. the other guy's just like, why'd you do that? And he's like, oh, we're, we're professionals. That's what we get paid to do. You know? <laughs> It's just yeah, like I, know you, yeah. I did like Peter Falk. Lancaster yeah. viewed this as a big like Vietnam allegory movie, and uh, because he was famous again, infamous uh, anti-Vietnam War protest protester. Yeah, uh, that liberal makes sense. hippie bastard. Because the so, one yeah. thing I would compare this movie to is Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm. I actually like this better than Apocalypse Now, but yeah, because short. That's probably unpopular. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. No, but it. It has those vibes where there, there's like a nightmare quality to it. And like just the opening credits when it keeps flashing on these thing, these the parts in the castle exploding and just blowing apart like the, the art and stuff. And it just goes back to the and then it goes back to the credits. Like it just keeps doing that. There's this aspect. This movie has a vibe that uh, the only other movie I can name that that's like that is apocalypse now where it just feels like oh you know this like we, we shouldn't be here this feeling there's like a haunted vibe to this whole movie and that that's part of it i, I love it I love this movie. no you're you're exactly right it's um it does play out like a surrealist dream film like that like louis benwell would have done and that I, I love it i and it has great action too i mean not only does it have great atmosphere the action feels kind of realistic at times for like what yeah. it is. Yeah. Well, then I, I definitely gotta mm. gotta check this one out. I mean, I love Apocalypse Now. Seen all three cuts, although uh, they got it right in 1979. Stop editing it, my dude. <laughs> but excited, excited to 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 rewatch this one, and I guess I I didn't care for it either, because it's like it's a World War Two movie made right after the Civil Rights Movement, made during mm-hmm. the Vietnam War. And like its message is war is good, but why does it have to be so boring? <laughs> That's how I felt it. Mm. Like this movie, it doesn't have an anti-war uh, message it, it, or anything. It, I think it straddles the it's line like, because there are definitely things that are that feel anti-war. Like it, you know, like that that part where they they kill the 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 flautist in the woods. That's just like you know, but sort of. But it's also like. That's that's the, the, the cynical wit of the film where it's saying like, you know, war is its own art. They kind of make this point, but it also destroys real art, you know. We'll spend an entire episode on this. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. We'll come back to it. But uh, I definitely, it is a curiosity. It might not be for everybody, but I, uh, I'd say, uh, you know, definitely, I'd say check it out because it is curi- a curiosity. But yeah. Uh, move okay, on. Okay, interesting. 
Anyone seen Gypsy Moths? Which another? I think it's his final Frankenheimer one. No. No. If even you haven't seen it, then mm-hmm. let's roll on. Yeah. Right. Airport. That's a good one. That's like the film that began like the disaster movie craze. Yes. That still holds up as a pretty good. I mean, not pretty good. Very good. It's a very good thriller. Uh, you got to say. Yeah. Uh, Bert really Lancaster like disagrees with you. This oh. is. He's, he he said this is one of the worst movies he ever did. He really hated this movie. Thought it was just like a bunch of hokey melodrama crap. And well, he's sort of right, but I do feel like as soon as the airplane actually takes off, this becomes like a really good thriller. Mm-hmm. Like the first half is kind of like a drama series almost with all the characters and the problems it sets up. But yeah, once it gets to the main problem of the movie, it's really, really good. All right. I mean, I prefer the sequels, to be honest. Airport 75 and Airport 77, when they're just pure trash. (laughs) (laughs) I do have to say, George Kennedy is the MVP of this movie. Yeah, as he often is. He gets the best lines. And he was the only one to return for the sequels. He's in all of them. Yeah, I can see why he's great in this. But yeah, I, I did also notice like Burt Lancaster often plays very uh, uh, authoritative characters, like generals or yeah. You know, and in this one, he plays an airport director, so it immediately fits. As soon as you see him, he has the authority of an of an airport director, and I really liked him. In I it. think especially more in his his later ones, he definitely starts playing taking on a lot of like uh, general. Uh, roles and stuff like that when he's he's a bit too old to do the action himself okay yeah but before we get to him being too old to the i do the action himself we're coming up on uh, just a trio of revisionist westerns that he did in the early 70s and that movies are, uh, that i wanted to watch but i have well i've seen one of them but because uh, i think these ones um well i'm gonna come down cold on one of them but is it really, Lawman? It's, no uh, surprisingly to me, actually, Lawman is not one of them because whenever there's a Michael Winner picture in, in the mix, yeah, I always assume that's the worst one. <laughs> I was going to wait until uh, we brought up the scumbag director, but <laughs> I was like, oh, I wonder what his Western is like. Yeah, um, Michael Winner's I, a real sleazy bastard, but it doesn't really come through <laughs> in this one as much. Uh, well, no, no women, no women being uh, raped con- continuously in this one. It's still pretty bloody, though. Oh, skip! I don't know. It doesn't even sound yeah. like a Michael Winner film already. I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah, directing Where's against the misogyny, type? Michael. Where's the misogyny? <laughs> but that film is Lawman. Th- this was the first one. The first one was Lawman. Yeah, and I, I yeah. enjoy Lawman a lot. Oh, yeah, I do too. That's really good. Got a lot and of bloody got... violence in it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's um, Lancaster plays an old-time lawman, and he's he's really playing into his his age now. Yeah, and it's good. It kind of like examines the ethics, kind of of like law and order, because on one side, it it will disrupt like the order of the town if Lancaster goes after these bad guys, but he still has to do it because that's what you do when you're the lawman. It's it's an interesting film, I think. In addition to all the cool carnage in it. I thought it plays a bit like um, Lancaster's version of Unforgiven, except he plays the, the lawman and not the outlaw. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it has a great climax. Like, just like, I, I remember, I was just shocked at the, the, one of, like, the final shots of this one. It's, uh, it thought it was really good, especially, well, you know, coming from Michael Winner. Because um, next one up, Valdez is coming. Valdez is coming? Yeah. 
Better do the, the Seagal pronunciation. Valdez. Well, look, <laughs> you, if you, you have to because of what Lancaster's doing with his accent. Yeah. You have to do that. Jesus Christ, Bert. <laughs> what <laughs> were you thinking? Because this is the one I'm coming down cold on okay. a bit. Definitely the worst of the three. Directed by Edwin Shuren, who uh, literally he's nothing, nothing on this uh, <laughs> that he ever did other than this is something you've heard about. Like, mm. um, And yeah, uh, Lancaster plays a Mexican-American sheriff, Bob Valdez, doing a bit of, bit of the brown face, yeah. a bit of the eyeliner. But <laughs> the, the thing that really puts me off is the accent he's doing. Like He's doing like a really bad Mexican accent in this one for some reason. Yeah. And also just, I thought... Yeah, this I is pretty good up until the end. The end is is the other main part I hold against this movie. So it just builds to nothing. Nothing happens. Yeah. It feels like okay, you're building, and then we're we're starting to get all the, these cool action scenes of Lancaster showing off with his that he's still got it and he's this gunman, and then you're just expecting something to happen, and you just get this like stupid line, and then the movie just ends. Yeah, yeah. completely it's good up to that unsatisfactory. Point, yeah. So my understanding is this is a uh, Elmore. Leonard adaptation and I did not enjoy it either Um, I'm well there are things that I liked in it but like I even liked uh, he finally has a cool mustache and I'm like awesome but the movie um, (laughs) yeah it's just like oh here's this is worse than the than the Apache brown face this is it's not fun (laughs) genuinely a very aware actor who's just this is like an incredibly tone-deaf performance from him and a shame this is honestly this is the last thing i saw of his until he popped up in field of dreams okay well then you missed out because yeah. next one is all santa's raid his uh reteaming with bob aldrich 20 years after vera cruz and this one i loved there's a, yeah. a great one i uh, chose so place <laughs> yeah he plays this um, scout, basically, who, who helps the the army. He's not not in the army. The native native outlaw called Alsana, who is Apache leader, and just basically starts right off the bat like, oh yeah, he's on the warpath. He's gonna do horrible shit, and then we just watched him do horrible shit, and Burt Lancaster and the army uh, trails along with him. And yeah, it's, I thought it was a very good movie. Yeah, yeah it's, my only I, my only problem is though it. Even though it's a revisionist Western, it does seem kind of unfair to the Native Americans. I mean, there's like a scene that is not shown mercifully, but they talk about it. Where like, like in the past, one of the Apaches threw like a baby into a ca- like a cactus patch and left it to die or something like that. And it does seem a borderline racist against Native Americans, like showing them as these bloodthirsty maniacs who just like love to torture and kill. And but it's a, it is a good movie, and it has this kind of like almost horror movieish vibe to it. Is like. Instead of Michael Myers, it's like Apaches just roaming around the prairie murdering people indiscriminately. And it's it's a good movie, but maybe a little unfair to Apaches, maybe. Yeah, I feel it. it's sort of, it straddles the line a bit there where it's like, it clearly it's, it's not condemning Apaches outright. It's mainly this one guy, Elsana, who is a, a vicious uh, warmonger. Uh, but because they clearly make a note out of the fact that Burt Lancaster has a native wife in this one, but yeah. they don't show that. They just mention yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's Lancaster and then this um they have a he has a native scout with him 
Mm-hmm. But played played by a Mexican, but you know you got to take what you get, I guess. And then it's <laughs> Bruce Davison who plays this uh, is very young commander from the army who's with him there, a lieutenant, and because he, I think that's the part where sort of he really is racist at the start. He's like sort of that's the thing in the movie's favor is that like it kind of shows that uh, the his character d- does progress and grow to the throughout the movie and sort of learn that because he's very. Um, condemning of the of the scout the native scout too at the start but he and then at the end they sort of they let the native scout well spoilers when at the end of the movie they let him take the Alsana's body like basically showing him uh the respect at the end so that they have they have grown to accept that okay it's it's not everyone it is there is bad guys on on both sides in a way and uh he's the character with the the, the real arc here He's the one who gets the real showy. Bruce Davison, that is, gets the real like showy performance in this one. But yeah, no, it's a great, great Western, I thought. I really enjoyed this one. Highly recommend. Scorpio? I've nice. seen that one. It's not worth watching. And uh, yeah, well, it's a Michael Winner. Yeah, it's a Michael Winner movie. And I guess this Another one is Michael Winner? more from Michael Winner. Sorry, though. yeah. Not <laughs> worth watching. That's a shame. We got Lancaster, <laughs> Alan Delon. That's, that's a shame. Got a good cast. Well, don't don't take it from me. I loved Castle Keep, so no, oh, that's right. Was it a noir film? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, in a way. Well, it's a spy thriller, isn't it? Yeah, kind well, of. It's another it, one where where Burt Lancaster's top build, but Ellen Delon is yeah. the star. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> the Leopard Hats, both of them as well, ended up with shit too. Anyone seen the JFK conspiracy thriller Executive Action? I yeah, I've seen that one. I it's want to watch movie. it now. Jeez, I didn't know what it was about. It's no, no that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ends with JFK being shot in the face. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It does. You see, like a exploitative blood squib and everything. Yeah, like it's and it, this came out ten only ten years after the the fact. Wow, this is this is like a this just moved up the list for me. Honestly, I know you <laughs> might not have liked it. It's not that perfect. sounds amazing to me. That poster <laughs> JFK is incredible. getting shot in the face. Yeah, that poster is incredible. It's pretty good. It's not one of my favorites from Burt Lancaster, but it's a good movie. Yeah. Next one up, I saw his uh, second directorial film. 20 years later, he returned to the director's chair to make The Midnight Man, where he, he plays a cop who's out on probation because he shot his wife's lover. And so he's fired for being a cop, and now he works as a college security and then someone on the college is murdered, and he basically uncovers this whole whole conspiracy. It's a real murder mystery one. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, gave me a bit of like early Twin Peaks vibes with a bunch of weird char- character gallery and stuff, and him going back and forth trying to figure out this uh, murder of this uh, girl and what was really happening. And he gets to have one one big action scene where he fights this uh, group of a bunch of red trio of rednecks led by Ed Lauder in a barn. And uh, I thought that was was really cool. Just, Hell yeah, bring yeah. me Ed Louder. It's uh, it's a fun, fun mystery thriller. Really offbeat, weird mystery movie. See, I'm looking at the scroll down the cast. I see he brought his buddy Nick Cravat with him on that one. Yeah, yeah, Nick Cravat turning up everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally allowed to speak. If you're in for a really like sort of weird, uh, 70s offbeat, uh, murder mystery, check it out. Okay. Yeah. Well. Again, we're in the seventies, and I have not seen any of these. Okay, yeah, I think you have some up now, Marty. 
some real boring crap. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I have luckily not seen Conversation Piece from the director of The Leopard. That's I actually started but watching I... that once, and I thought it was so boring. <laughs> turned it off and I watched a, yeah. a Lou Ferrigno Death Wish ripoff instead. Good choice. But I did watch the movie cut of the miniseries Moses the Lawgiver where he plays uh, Moses. And a uh, hot take, I think the Bible is kind of a crap book. <laughs> <laughs> or was this uh, just superior ma- It just makes less... No, it makes less sense in the movie. Oh, man. Um... I don't know if I can say anything about it really without like shitting on the Christian faith. Okay, so but, just uh, just hard pass and move on. <laughs> that might be best. Yeah. Though I would also like to note his younger self is played by his son Bill. Oh yeah, Bill's in Midnight Man too. Plays yeah. one of the murder and victims. For the people who don't know this, Bill Lancaster wrote John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh. Okay, interesting. The greatest horror movie of all time was written by Bert's son. Oh yeah, Bill Lancaster also by Bert Seed. Uh, Bill Lancaster also brought uh, Bad News Bears. Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, it's, um, Walter Matthau and Bad News Bears is based on Bert Lancaster. Oh, shit. I yeah, yeah that's the, the... I only watched the remake. So if you want to know what Bert Lancaster was like in real life, well, that's the grumpy baseball coach there. That's the, what you got to watch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Moses, not a big fan. The Pope was a big fan. But, uh, you know, pick your side, I guess. And let's see what we have next. Yeah, I think you're on your own for a bit now. Ah, 1900 1900 yes I think that's actually the number of minutes that this movie is long (laughs) I I was pleasantly surprised by this one but it's like 5 hours long it was originally supposed to be a TV series but uh, director Bernardo Bertolucci thought like no this has to be seen on the big screen and I should have hated it but I think the memory of the leopard was still so fresh in my mind that I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, it does have like naked underage boys in it, which is kind of like really off-putting. Um, well, it's still less... like naked Robert De Niro and Depardieu. Yeah, definitely not the most unsettling thing Bernardo Bertolucci ever put on mm-hmm. screen. I was going to bring up Last Tango in Paris, yeah. but... Yeah, uh, that was what I was bringing up. I just didn't want to <laughs> say it specifically. Yeah. Yeah. One of the boys gets an erection on screen as well. Oh, Jesus, Bernardo. It's, uh, yeah. For fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, I think they kill actual frogs in the movie as well. Oh, that's just what Italians. Italians, Hong Kong, love killing <laughs> animals on screen. <laughs> yeah, but I was pleasantly surprised. It, it, it's like... Similar to the leopard, except all the changes that happen in Italy actually affect the characters. Mm. It's about, um, well, later played by Robert De Niro and Gerard Depardieu. Uh, one of them plays uh, the son of a rich aristocratic Italian family. The main patriarch in the first hour and a half played by Burt Lancaster. Oh, because he's their dad uh, of one of them. Uh, grandfather. Grandfather of... Uh, uh, grandfather of De Niro. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, Depardieu is born into the servant family, and it just follows them through their lives until, I think, 1945, so for 45 years. <laughs> okay, so and a real sprawling epic thing. Yeah, like really, really sprawling. I'm, but, you know, it's, it, I'm reading it's the really reviews. socialist towards the end. <laughs> 
So I'm reading the yeah. reviews for this movie. They all talk about Robert De Niro and David Joe getting wanked off. That's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> but my favorite is the, I thought 1900 was supposed to be the year this movie took place, but it actually stands for how many minutes this film is. Yes, it's, it is really, really long. But like the I said, I had, I had the leopard fresh in my mind, so this, this was a cakewalk. Yeah, but I also turning leftist, that was a, a big Italian thing, I think, in the 60s, 70s, like all these spaghetti Western directors, borderline communist uh, like well, you know, I guess coming out of the fascism, yeah. they did took a big leftist turn. Yeah. Now they're back to fascism. So well, they yeah, <laughs> Dave Joe plays one of the servant family, and they're like actual communists because they're living living and working on the land of the rich family, getting barely no pay in return. Um, and Donald Sutherland is absolutely fantastic as the fascist in this one. I gotta say again, I think this is Donald Sutherland's least favorite performance of his own. Uh, he infamously hates this performance. Is it because he headbutts a cat to death? Yeah. <laughs> I think he just thinks he, yeah. he went way too big, way too wild. Oh, I love him in this one. It's fantastic. But yeah, it's, it's five hours long, so it's definitely not for everybody. Yeah, well, well that's about how long this episode so is. Yeah. So. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything more to say about this one. Let me see. My, check my notes. Mm-mm-mm-mm. No. And what do we have next? This year, notes just have like a boner count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next one I've seen is the Cassandra Crossing. That's a good I think one. That might be the next one anyone's watched. Okay. Yeah, it's a, a solid disaster movie set on a train with Richard Harris and Burt Lancaster together. It's. It's solid. Yeah, Bird Lancaster isn't on the train, though, right? Oh, uh, it's been years since I've yeah, seen it. Yeah, for me it, too. So I don't know. I, I did watch <laughs> oh, the trailer yeah. to refresh my mind up. Uh, oh, but I don't think he is on the train. He plays like the general who's in charge of quarantining the train. Yeah, this is another one where where he, he plays the the general, and this is now we're seeing the ones where he starts being like built like fifth and sixth, where he's his character actually is, and not the ones where he's still being top build despite playing like the. A supporting part. I think what I remember this movie most for is the the climax where just fucking everyone dies. That's the whole thing. <laughs> like they save like seven people and they're like, Oh no, just like everyone else on the train is dead. Watch them die in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's an insane ending that just needs to be seen. Really. Oh my god. George O. J. Simpson. O. J. Simpson gets shot, so it's kinda good. <laughs> that's uh Kazmato's joint. Yeah. That's fun. Next up is Twilight's Last Gleaming. Yes. It's about like it's about like a nuclear scare, isn't it? It's been a while since I've seen it. And I remember it being pretty good, right? Oh, I loved it. Oh, this is another Bob okay, Aldrich good. one. I didn't yes. I didn't realize that. And apparently uh, Bert Lancaster passed on the script because he didn't like it. Then Bob Aldrich came on, did a rewrite, and then Bert Lancaster accepted without reading the new script because he just loved working with Bob so much. But no, I love this one. This is this is really one of those movies where everything happens just because it would it benefits the movie basically, in the sense that he has to override the security system of the nuclear launch system just so that they have full control in that one room and nobody from outside can get in, and the security measures are like like a, a little piece of pipe with a liquid in it and they can't tilt it too much when they take it out. Like, it makes no sense if you think about it. Why would a computer have that sort of security built in it? 
but it makes a great scene when they have to take it out without tilting it and it's just filled with moments like that all right it. yeah and very it's, very um, uh, anti well, another long government one, secrets and government cover-ups pro uh post-vietnam war yeah i fucking love it all right i gotta check this one i could this is one that i sort of passed on because i saw the running time and <laughs> yeah. i was like well i can fit two westerns into the time it will take me to watch this so i will say i i have the uh, okay. eureka masters of cinema release and the english subtitles are kind of crap with the english uh, subtitles for the english dialogue yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of impressive that you couldn't just write down what they said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, they make some mistakes in it. I'll make a note out of checking this one out. Then. Definitely very political movie and a lot of fun. Next one up is The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is based on the same story as Island of Lost Souls from 1932, mm. which is my favorite horror movie of all time. So The Island of Dr. Moreau, not as good as Island of Lost Souls, but it's still... It's what I liked it. I mean, it's it's an okay adaptation. Um, it's it doesn't have anything on Island of Lost Souls though, but it's it's watchable. Does he have the quote unquote Marlon Brando role? Doctor Moreau, you mean? Yes. The titular, well, not yeah, the Dr. titular yeah. role, but the, you know the. the <laughs> he doesn't yeah, play the island. The island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the end of the movie, the he stands up and it turns out <laughs> that the island was just on his back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but next to that Burt Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Burt Lancaster does play Dr. Moreau in this. I guess then okay. go tell the Spartans, another very yes. anti-Vietnam War movie up next. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Directed by uh, Ted Post. Yeah. Who as I mentioned earlier saw him perform during World War II. Yeah. Probably best known for his uh, Clint Eastwood movies. Yeah. Magnum Force. Good guys wear black with Chuck Norris. Well, go tell the Spartans. It's interesting because it, it's um, about the Vietnam War when America hadn't officially entered the Vietnam War yet, which is just like a really interesting period that you don't see often in movies. All right. And where I, they, they were functioning as military advisors. This one, this one was a passion project for Lancaster, I know. Uh, they ran out of funding, and he basically paid for the completion for the last couple of oh, weeks wow. of shooting out of his own pocket. Oh, that's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, like your then we have Zulu Don. Oh, oh wait, you say something. Oh yeah, about? I was just asking. You have, you're like big on history. What do you think yeah. about the period in history of the Vietnam War where this is set? Well, I thought that was probably a pretty interesting choice because this is one of the first of the major Vietnam movies, and it's set in, like, 1964, I think, right? Is that when it is? Yeah. Something like that. So. And and it's, 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 it's about American soldiers helping South Vietnamese troops, right? And it's it's been a while since I've seen it, but it is a good movie that um, it's kind of, like, takes, like, an anti-war turn. It's right before Apocalypse Now came out, and I don't have much to say other than watch it. Yeah, it's yeah. the it's same, so, so same it, year it as a, The Deer Hunter, I think. It isn't, yeah, it isn't a comedy... Year. But it does have some parts in it that are like absurdist-ish, but they're played completely straight. As in, like this is just yeah. what happens in a war. You sort of laugh, but you're not sort. Yeah, it's not supposed to be funny, mm-hmm. but it is. It's it's okay. really odd because like one of the I characters is an opium addict, and at one point he just shuffles through the camp in a high, and then he gets blown up by mortar fire. And it's like it's absurdist, 
but it's not really supposed to be funny and it still works. Yeah, it's an interesting tone that this movie has. Very anti-war, definitely. Also, one of the mm -hmm. main stars is pre-Beastmaster Beastmaster. So. <laughs> yes. I have not seen Beastmaster. Okay. Then we get to Zulu Dawn, which is a prequel to Zulu from 1964, which is a battle about the Battle of Rourke's Drift during the Anglo-Zulu War. Zulu Dawn is about the Battle of Sandawana, where the Zulus attack the British who are invading Zululand. And um, this is pretty good. It's a big Hollywood epic with, like, I don't know if it's Hollywood, but it's a big epic film with like lots of um, soldiers and big battles and stuff like that. Burt Lancaster is in the middle of the fighting. And it's, it's, it's not great, but I like it quite a bit. I like the, the first Zulu. And it's, it's like they mentioned a previous battle in the original Zulu. Yeah, And that's yeah. the no battle that they depict in Zulu Dawn. Yeah, okay. the Battle of Sandawana. Yeah. I wish I would have known that before I watched Zulu. That would have been cool. Um, but... All right. Yeah, because I always thought it was a sequel because I didn't really look yeah, into either. it. But I guess it makes I was sense. Like, looking, at the, looking at the cast of like Denim Elliott and Peter O'Doul and Bob Hoskins, and I'm assuming this is a British yeah. movie rather than a Hollywood movie. Burt Lancaster doing uh, an accent in this one, an Irish accent for some reason. Uh, well, I guess not for no reason. I mean, that's his, his character is based on a real guy who I'm guessing was a, uh, you know, an actual Irish person. Uh, but a, a, apparently it's uh, Bird Lancaster was basically accent deaf, could not under, <laughs> couldn't tell accents apart. So it's kind of interesting that he's he's really doing in uh, doing an Irish accent there and trying to stick yeah, with it. From the director is of Theater of Blood and one of the underrated late period John Wayne films Brannigan so but a lot of um like this is definitely for me but like people like Ken Gampu and Len Sparrowhawk are in this people that if you watch a lot of like uh, later uh, DTV movies shot in South Africa you'll see them pop up and a bunch of stuff oh why right. this is the one where um Burt Lancaster had to show he wasn't a member, I think, of the Communist Party to get a visa to South Africa. Oh, okay, that makes sense. What do we have next? All right, the next next one is Atlantic City, which is I I I don't know if it's it's a swinging eye, but it's it's this is the last great Burt Lancaster movie, especially in the terms of like that it's stars Burt Lancaster plays sort of like a basically very pathetic character, really, who who like likes to imagine that he was a a big gangster in the thirties, forties. 50s like involved with the big guys and now he's just sort of slumming it in atlantic city it's a great really sad performance by him falls in love with everyone's favorite hot mom susan sarandon <laughs> yeah uh, susan sarandon and her giant honkers <laughs> and uh yeah yeah well she shows them off in this one so i'll be watching this one so support uh support the troops by watching this one <laughs> <laughs> the troops in this case are Susan yeah. Sarandon's <laughs> but yeah no this was a huge uh like late career role for him that and it was a script that he's he read this and he was like this is such a great part nobody writes parts like these for for actors my age and he was desperate to play it and uh, well he got it and um landed him an academy award nomination the last one of his career and uh after this one uh, Burt Lancaster had a lot of health issues. 
He had a gallbladder operation that basically killed him. Almost killed him, at least. And he was in hospital for a long time. And then later he had a huge triple bypass surgery. Like his, this, his, his chain smoking, uh, hard living had caught up to him. And he just like in incredibly deteriorating health from this point out. Had to turn down a bunch of work. Well, you can't uh, tell looking at his filmography. Because he seems to keep busy. Yeah, but stuff like he turned down Gorky Park, I mean, you know. He was should have should have supposed to play the Lee Marvin part in that. He was supposed to play the George C. Scott part in Firestarter. Turned that down. And the big one for him was he was really championing an adaptation of uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Where he was going to play the uh, William Hurt part. Which I guess... Mm, you're a bit old, Bert. A bit old. Um, you're seventy. William Hurt's like thirty. I mean, he was he was virtually uninsurable by the mid '80s. He's not starring in a lot. I see him local hero and tough no. guys. I think that's about it. No, I've seen the Osterman. Yeah, I've seen that was that's a solid movie. Yeah, he's... yeah, local hero. Well, comes I've first, seen okay. I think. I've seen the Marco Polo miniseries just before that. Why? <laughs> he plays the Pope, apparently. I, I keep asking myself that question. Why? Yeah, I see you gave it a healthy one yeah. star. <laughs> well, so between the, having wasted uh, seven and virtually a, half. a week of your life seven on and a half Marco hours. Polo, Moses, <laughs> and uh, the Leopard. Yeah. And not, well, 1900 you at least yeah. enjoyed. Oh, okay, yeah. So between the Moses and Marco Polo and the Leopard... Which which uh, which seven hours of your life did you least enjoy wasting? Well, Marco Polo because it was seven and a half hours long. <laughs> okay, so if if you're sitting at home thinking you're gonna watch the Leopard or Marco Polo, Don't. at least put on put on the Leopard. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one time you should prioritize the yeah. Leopard. <laughs> yeah, Mar- it's it's uh, yeah, it has some nice sets and what and locations, but it's it's really fucking long. Most of the time, it's just Marco Polo observing the Mongols and the Chinese. And, yeah, that's kind of boring. <laughs> They're both like the noodles. Oh, he... <laughs> yes, he does discover spaghetti. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. F. Murray Abrams discovers what? spaghetti in this one. <laughs> F. Murray Abrams plays Marco Polo? No, no, Polo? no. One of his uh, travel companions. He he comes in and he's like, I I found these uh, dough strings. They're fantastic. And then they all eat dough strings or spaghetti. All right. Does does he invent the popular uh, swimming pool game? (laughs) But a lot of people do yell Marco, but nobody Nobody ever yells back. No. (laughs) That's a sad (laughs) movie. That should have been the last shot of the movie. Yeah. One star right there. (laughs) Fuck this shit. All right, then, yeah, Local Hero, which is uh, was a Bill Forsythe movie. Bill Forsythe's this uh, Scottish director who had a it was hot, hot, hot streak in the eighties. Uh, starting, he had a big hit with this thing called the uh, Gregory's Girl, and then Local Hero was his next one, uh, where it's um, this American guy uh, gets sent off by who uh, was sent by this oil company. Burt Lancaster's the head of the old company, and he gets sent to this uh, village in Scotland where they're looking to uh, build an oil refinery. And it's basically this guy falls in love with the uh, with the locals, and uh, at the end, Burt Reynolds, Reynolds, there we go again. Uh, Burt Lancaster comes over to Scotland and um, 
uh, basically the guy convinces him that no we should not should not uh, create an oil refinery in this village these people are good leave them alone this one has a mark knopfler score uh that's possible you don't i know remember how searching for it i am here to talk about gregory's girl and it's not even the one he with burt lancaster it's too bad yeah. Oh, he actually did work with uh, Burt Reynolds too. He did uh, Breaking In with Burt Reynolds, the movie that's famous for uh, Burt uh, Reynolds taking his pair piece off. He did work with both of them. That's both birds. That's fun. Yeah. And after this one, The Osterman Weekend, starring yep. my favorite, favorite actor of all time, Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer. Okay. Who is actually oh. fantastically cast in this one? I think this 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 was one of his more enjoyable roles. I think, like the smarmy. TV presenter. Great. Yeah, it's great above fit. average movie, I'd say. Yeah. Sam Peckinpah's last one. Below average for him. He was, uh, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, he was a raging alcoholic at this point. Well, he was always a raging alcoholic. I just think his body couldn't <laughs> take it anymore at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of infamous for being a bit, bit all over the place. A lot of, like, conspiracy stuff in this one and who's, who's who and everything. And, or what the central conflict is. Yeah, very disjointed. Yeah. But I think that works too. Like it's the characters don't know, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Was it just intentional or just was like back in pod just wasn't with it anymore. But Yeah. I guess you said you'd seen Tough Guys, Brent? Uh, yeah. Uh it's uh, you know, it's not great. It's just it's a kind of movie where it's, you know, old people um or a couple older actors just been like we still got it. You know, it's one of those. Yeah, it's like a final teaming of Lancaster mm-hmm. and Kirk Douglas. And uh, this one, I mean, this is one where they had real trouble getting Burt Lancaster insured for this one. He was in real poor health. Yeah, you can tell. And, uh, well, he, he looks. Kirk Douglas wasn't. Well, Kirk Douglas took care of himself his whole life, so he died when he was married. 104 yeah. years old. Hundred and three. So he will live to way past a hundred. But the thing that will be probably most interesting, I think, is that the red hot chili peppers are in this movie. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah pre fame. So they were a local LA act and so they ended up uh they were in us playing in a concert in yeah. this one. <laughs> that uh Kirk Douglas goes to because Kirk Douglas is, you know, the viral young seventy mm. <laughs> year old. <laughs> he loves that alt rock. No no like yeah, you know, Kirk Douglas is like banging a 25-year-old aerobics instructor in this one. Ooh. Yeah. Don't look at it, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Just close your eyes and imagine Spartacus. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what this was, like a real like a final sort of final showcase for goodbye for them and I mean, I believe it is Burt Lancaster's last leading part. Yeah. And I guess that leaves us with like the last movie today, and it's the one, his his last performance, the one everyone's seen. It's Field of Dreams. Yes, I had actually not seen this one until homework for this episode. Well, first off, the movie is bloody weird. This is the yeah. well, the weirdest hit movie I think there is, because it, it's nonsense and it's kind of creepy. It doesn't make any sense by the end. You're like, what? Yeah. Like, I, I still don't understand what the point of this movie is. What, what I was surprised by is like, I thought this movie was about a guy who hears a voice telling him to build a baseball field. 
And then he goes and does it so he can play catch with his dad. But like him hearing voices and building a baseball field is the first 10 minutes. Yeah. I thought that that, that was like in how I imagined it. That was like the first hour and a half was all that. But no, 10 minutes, baseball field is done. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it just becomes a road movie for some reason then. Well, then it's... It's so it's just like all the characters that are are would in any realistic situation be the reasonable characters are treated as absolute villains. They're like, uh, look, what you're doing is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> you're literally hearing voices telling you to to tear down your crops and build a baseball field in the middle of your crops. Yeah, and now you, you can't a, turn a profit anymore. You have a struggling home as it is. And and everyone they're like, the way that they are villainized for what is, what would normally be like, hey, we're actually just looking out for you. It's yeah. so bizarre. The only thing I could, could compare this to is there. Have you guys seen the movie Lars and the Real Girl? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's like. You're like, mm-hmm. no, this is just outrageous behavior. And when people yeah. <laughs> more and more people start playing along, you're just going, this is outrageous. This movie is is just a, there's a bad message in this movie <laughs> that we should just placate <laughs> delusional people. I, I did the, like that the family was really supportive because you imagine the wife being like, honey, what are you doing? Don't be so crazy. But she's just like, no, sure, I believe you. Let's go. Yeah, it gets, and, and it's wild. And the fact that it, at the end you're like, yeah, that's real. The, the ghosts of these people that died, you know, are, are there now and we're all going to play a game. And he get yeah. in it. So Burt Lancaster shows up as a uh, former player. Um, Who played now, one game. Yeah, he's very old now. And they're like, oh, well, we'll bring, you know, and he steps onto the field and becomes young again, right? Yeah. Um, so he's he gets to hang out for a little bit, and then Kevin Costner's daughter chokes on a hot dog. And so he has to go back to being <laughs> old now again and die. <laughs> yeah, because if they step off the pitch, they, uh, they're no longer their younger selves, their ghosts, basically. Uh, so so it's has to just... choose between staying on the pitch, on the field, or saving the girl. Yep. And and again, this happens, and I'm just like, why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> why is this happening? <laughs> yeah. I find this movie maddening. It's very weirdly charming. But yes. Every time I stop and think about what's happening in the movie, I go absolutely nuts. Yeah, it's just such a baffling concept, but it's like it's so well put together that you don't question it. Like if it was slightly worse or slightly less feel good, people would be like, yeah. <laughs> fuck. But people just like roll with it all all good yeah, vibes. Even though at the end of the energy. movie, I'm they're like, oh, there's literally line of cars to pay you money to come watch ghosts yeah. play baseball which is real that would happen i guess <laughs> but i'm like what where are they going to stay where are they going to eat what are the where's the bathrooms i'm just like losing my mind at the end of this movie yeah and like what's the message of this yeah i, I like, don't get it yeah i do, do something crazy it. and you'll make loads of money because that's good. yeah it's just have faith in your insane ideas well, I think this pod is running longer than uh, yeah. a baseball <laughs> game and a leopard at this point. So maybe yeah, I, but I think that's a good we place should to wrap it up. That is where he basically ends it. So he does some TV stuff, and I think he passed yeah. away in '94, just three years before his son. Uh, yeah, 
Anyway. That's that's sad. Yeah. Why why do you have to yeah. bring that <laughs> up? <laughs> well you got me thinking about the leopard again, so I just got really depressed. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, what a career. I think the guy was great. Um yeah. Yeah. yeah go. I think just it's a real shame about the health issues because I think he really he could have had like an incredible final run in the eighties too if it wasn't just for the all the health issues, losing in parts and stuff. Like he just couldn't work, couldn't get insured. Yeah, this is uh, yeah. you know, he was a, he was a legendary actor. Yeah, like cause he was he was a physical guy, but he really had uh, the chops too when it came to the acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by most of the movies I watched for this episode. Yeah, I have a lot that, I, like I said at the beginning, uh, there's so many of these that I want to watch, uh, haven't gotten around to yet. Um, but yeah, absolutely fantastic. The ones I've seen, or at least, um, he's good in, in most of them when he's yeah. not doing brown face or an accent. I really like him. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Check out, start with the train and Veracruz really. And, uh, sweet smell of success. Yeah. Sweet smell of success. Another, another great, great performance. Atlantic city is a great one. Uh, these are, those are great ones for his acting, not for his action. Uh, especially his actions in Sweet Smell of Success, very condemnable stuff. The professionals. Horrible, horrible characters. Um, yeah, professionals, Alsana's Raid. I, uh, I will step up uh, with uh, Brandon there for, or not Brandon, but uh, <laughs> sorry, Marty, for, with uh, Castle Keep. No, no, Brandon. No, it is Brandon. Brandon is Brandon. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, I will step up with that. Um, highly recommend, although it is. It is weird, and it won't be for everybody, but I think that uh, everyone kind of owes it to themselves to watch something weird once in a while. Mm-hmm. And that's as good as any weird thing I've, I've seen in a while, so I, I definitely recommend. Got a lot of good good stuff there. But yep. That is yeah, you can check that out. is Burt Lancaster, not Burt Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, if you want to decide what the next Hall of Famer episode we're going to have to do is should join the discord and vote for it because we don't even know who it is yet that will happen uh very soon i guess that we should open open voting when this episode uh publishes yeah yes because it's mm-hmm. actually over overdue for a new round of uh voting for the hall of fame yeah that's right and then yeah check out the webpage allourbubblegum.com and check out the patreon we should have a new episode up there on uh a commando adjacent cinema how's that going did we upload that we'll see i'll, I'll get i'll get <laughs> we'll to it, I'll get to it. <laughs> by the time this one goes out it will be yeah what are we doing next week do we know taken taken the whole trilogy uh well taken one taken one and <laughs> i just wanted to watch two and three as well yeah we'll That's probably talk, we'll talk about that yeah Let's we will it. talk mainly taken one though yeah next week taken yeah. it'll be taking its time and uh <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. That's all for today. Yes, thank you. Bye. See ya. Thank you. See Bye-bye. Ya. Bye. To the show show, but real quickly, you're 91 years old. You look fantastic. You look like you're no, in nice. your late 60s, uh, early 70s. What's the secret? I don't dare tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no meat. You don't eat meat. I masturbate a lot. <laughs>